Hello. Call recorder wants to update. Should I do this one? I did. Do Other you... minor fixes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Go ahead. You can start. It's cool. All right. Let me. Mm-hmm. You really, really think I should do it? Um, We could try. I'd be, it'll be fine without, probably. Okay. So, mm-hmm. so, uh, remind me later. Mm-hmm. Remind me to drag the Skype window back to the place where I drag it to every time I record. Mm-hmm. Because between launches, it decides that it doesn't want to be there anymore. Mm. I'm always fixing it. Always fixing it. You get these three windows. We, we discussed this, I think, when you sent me a screenshot. But I got my big Skype window with all the junk in it. When I'm outside, I got current call, right? And then you get call recorder. And I like them to be uh, a certain way. Me too. Mm. <laughs> Ah, I was just listening to you uh, talk about Tesla. Yep. Yep. You're not a car person, though. Well, you know, I'm not. I'm really not. I'm um, actively trying to get my daughter to explore options for things that aren't cars. We already walk a lot, but like, you know, she just as soon get driven somewhere rather than take public transit like most normal people, but. I don't know. I wanted to, I wanted to normalize that. I am not, I'm not all like, you know, red barchetta about this. Like, I'm not saying the car should just be like banned or something. I'm not saying that at all. I am saying that like one benefit. Is that what that song was about? I don't, I need to pay more attention to Rush. country place that no one knows about. It used to be a farm before the motor law. Uh Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I'm. I guess I'm not. I mean, I'm. I'm definitely not a a very big Rush fan, but I I never delved into those particular lyrics. That hurts. Really? Huh, okay. Um, and you're on Google You're on Google Music. I learned, I learned that today, too. Is that right? Oh, me? Yeah. No, the, remember we talked about this before. The only reason yeah. I'm on Google Music is because uh, I wanted to get the whole family on YouTube Red so my kids wouldn't see ads on YouTube. Yeah. And that comes as a package thing where you get I've got YouTube it. I Red just never, I never think to use it. Plus Google Music. I, I don't, usually don't think to use it either, but when I ask my cylinder to play music, that's okay. where it's drawing yeah. from, right? Yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't even know if it can draw from any other place. But anyway, I, I get I get Google Play Music whether I want it or not. I can't opt out of it. It comes with the YouTube Red, which I definitely do want. I forget which show you and or Jason were on where you and or Jason talked about this. Probably on Upgrade. But, but on one of those shows, you, I think you guys nailed it. It's just, it, you described it as being, I think, almost like the IoT problem. Maybe not quite that bad, but it's true. Like you got all, I mean, how many places do you want to pay for all the stuff? And like how to get it to work on the different devices. It's, it's like a little, it's a bunch of puzzle pieces that overlap in interesting ways. And you have to just be, be cognizant of how the different things overlap and to see if like, it's like, it's like a Venn diagram with 75 circles, but uh, the circles are shaped like amoebas and they're just thrown onto the floor randomly. Or yeah, or exactly. Or like, or like Apollo 13, you just dump a banker's box on the desk and go like, what fits with what? Right. And, and every piece costs $13 a month. Oh yeah. Oh man. I need to do, I need to do a, uh, a culling of the services. Oh, I'm signed up for so many things I'm not using. I mean, like actually, literally not using. Like I've tried, like I'll try a VPN service and go, man, not for me. I'm still paying ten dollars a month for that. I got to stop that. Yeah, I, I keep I keep reminding myself I need to do that with Hulu. I'm currently using Hulu to watch the new Star Trek and also rewatch Firefly, which I own multiple copies of on plastic discs. To be clear, like multiple copies of the full run of Firefly, and yet somehow we can't find any of them. Oh God! So now we're watching it on Hulu. <laughs> It's it's a problem, um, but yeah, I keep saying when when you're done watching Hulu, don't don't just let it sit there and keep charging you. Like, cancel your subscription after you finish Star Trek. 
I've been putting it off for a really irrational reason, which is that I, I tag all of those in my financial tracking program where like I make a point of each time there's a new like repeating charge, a new. Yeah, eight. you do. You do ELX space uh, Hulu. Oh, right? wow. Wow. It's important. See, there's, an, there's a very delicate, very intricate interplay between all the programs. Yeah, I do that. And um, I do that. But like I'm dreading going in and looking because of all the shame that I will have for stuff. That's just like, I'm paying, I'm still paying for like a shared hosting account because I think somebody in my family or maybe one of two friends of mine might have something there. And like, I, I don't want to mess up their email account or something. You should think of this like, like that dream where you find a new room in your house, but for money, like that oh, yeah. you'll, you'll have this exercise and suddenly it'll be like, you find a whole other room in your house only it'll be in the form of money that, that. Uh, it gets added to your income every month because you're no longer paying for, you know, whatever your, your AOL dial-up account. Oh, you're totally right. And to be honest with you in the past, that's something, well, as you start, like you first you like, you have like college student money where like, you know, every single nickel counts, you get a job, maybe you get another job, you get a better job. Anytime I want to get into that right mindset of not being starving at the end of every month, I put myself in a position of saying, okay, if there's a thing out there that's charging me money, it charges me $9 a month. And it's going to do those at $10 a month for like 12 months a year. That's $120. Like how many times in your life would you kill for $120? And you go like, this is, that's asinine. I'm not even just being a cheapskate. It's just, it's not, it's not sensible. Like, why would you do that? I used to always think about uh, everything in terms of movies. Uh, there was a time when you could go to a movie and like get a drink and that was around 10 bucks. So I always, in my head anyway, I still think of a movie as being 10 bucks. And I think about how many movies am I foregoing with this like, ridiculous thing and sometimes that motivates me to go in or at least motivates you to think about going in oh jesus that reminds me of something i hate getting a new card for a thing i got a new card for a thing uh and guess what i got one of your uh <laughs> one of the numbers printed on the back not num- particularly raised thing yeah 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 and now i gotta go in and like go to all the places and i you know i hate that so much it just doesn't i mean we recently had something with our school involving a check where we accidentally paid for something twice and they mailed me back the check. I sent them a check through my service that I use. They got Mm -hmm. the check. They said, Hey man, family, you accidentally paid for aftercare twice this month. What should we do? My lady says, okay, just mail us back the check. And now I got the check. I don't even know what to do with it. And it's like, Oh my God, there were so many fails in that system. I mean, starting with me, (laughs) but it's like, it's that same thing with these cards. Like, when are we going to get past this credit card? It's actually, you know what? I think it's a topic. I don't want to go into tonight, but like, I just, I feel like there's still these remnants of these old systems that are so inefficient and vulnerable. And it's, it just feels using a credit card feels so stupid to me. I hate it. Yeah, I'm kind of coming around on the uh, non-raised numbers thing just because it seems to slide in and out of the little slot in my wallet more easily. That's true. Yeah. An advantage that I didn't think of when I saw the strange cards, but now that it's the main card that I take in and out to do stuff when I'm not Apple paying, um, I kind of like it. Well, you know me, as you tagged me, I'm such a paranoiac. I mean, like my uh, my Muni card got down to $2.15 yesterday and I was like, oh, I hope I still have my transfer on here because I don't want to have to load it up at the station because twice when I've done that downtown, it's gotten my card locked down. And like, that's, that's a terrible way to feel about something. Yeah, they don't have the, you can't Apple Pay for your uh, public transport yet in fancy San Francisco? No, you cannot. The infrastructure for a lot of the city, including public transit, is pretty Jurassic. They had a giant hack. They had a, um, 
um, the um, ransomware attack a few months ago. Mm-hmm. And like yep. basically like everything went down for I think like a day and a half, two and a half days. Lost a huge amount of money. No, it's just, you know, I mean, I, I realize how I sound when I say this. But when I first heard about Apple Pay, I thought, that sounds pretty cool. Like I can't imagine using it very much. But honestly, after using it pretty much literally once, every other transaction seems stupid to me. Like, I don't, I don't mind paying cash for stuff. If I'm going to buy some gum, just here's a couple bucks. Like, give me the gum. Like, that's fine. But like, if I feel so savage to use a credit card and like, I think like uh, that number is getting passed around and like, it's all so silly. Yeah. Although, I mean, I'm not so much concerned about the security implications of it. Although that is stupid. It just the, you know, the inconvenience, uh, the, the, the but I mean, that, you know, for travel, if you're traveling, you know, and that happens if, and something happens with your card while you're away, I mean, that's like, you know, oh, so get five credit cards. Well, like, who wants five credit cards? Like, I, <laughs> I've already got a thousand credit cards. I don't have, no, I don't you're, have a, that you're a big shot. You're a big shot. No, so. I just, just yeah. My, uh, you know, when they ask you anytime you buy something and they're like, oh, would you like to get 15% off this uh, purchase by signing up for our blah, blah, blah card? You, I'm sure you've been asked that in life. Yeah. And you wonder, like, you're just like, you're just going to, no, no, thank you, no, just this, no, no. Like, and you're wondering, why do they bother doing that? Whoever says yes to that? My wife. That's who says yes to it. <laughs> you, she, get a, uh, you get a free, you get a towel and a, and a, she and does, a uh, she, workout like, bottle. When, <laughs> when we were first married, she basically said yes every single time. Which oh, makes geez. sense. You don't have a lot of money when you're married. Yes, I do want to spend 15, save 15% on this purchase. And we ended up with so many cards. I think we've actually pared down more recently. But I remember at one point apparently discovering that i had a lord and taylor card or something like like do things on on my behalf or joint accounts it's just anyway i got a lot of cards but i've narrowed it down substantially i even got rid of my beloved uh long island credit union card it was like my first bank account you know my first yeah uh, sure like checking account saving account i think my mom was the co-signer um but they were they're long island branded and all their cards had like long island scenes on them or maps of long island and everything and i I just like that because I like Long Island, but yeah. eventually uh, I was convinced to shut it down and, and cash out my $200 or whatever it had been in there since I was 15. Yeah. This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you by our friends at Casper. Casper are a company focused on sleep, and they're dedicated to making you exceptionally comfortable one night at a time. You spend a third of your life sleeping. If you spend a third of your life doing anything, you'd want to make sure it's as best as it can possibly be, and that's why you need Casper. Casper mattresses are perfectly designed for humans with engineering to soothe and support your natural geometry. It's got all the right support in all the right places. So what goes into making a Casper mattress so comfortable? They combine multiple supportive memory foams for a quality mattress with just the right sink and bounce. Casper mattresses are designed and developed in the U.S., and their breathable design helps to regulate your body temperature throughout the night. And with over 20,000 reviews and an average rating of 4.8 stars, Casper is quickly becoming the internet's favorite mattress. You can be sure of your purchase with Casper's 100-night risk-free sleep-on-it trial. They deliver directly to your door, and if for any reason you don't love it, Casper has a hassle-free return policy. We have two Casper mattresses at our house, and we like them very much. They uh, arrived in a very small box, very easy to put together. Uh, it provides a great night's sleep, and the mattress feels fantastic. Start sleeping ahead of the curve with Casper. 
you can get $50 toward any purchase, mattress purchase, by visiting casper.com slash diffs and using the offer code diffs, D-I-F-F-S, at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. That's casper.com slash diffs and the offer code diffs, D-I-F-F-S. We thank Casper for their support of the show. Mm, that's some chow mein. I'm a little bit logy. I changed my uh, I changed my avatar for you. I saw, I saw. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. I think you're no, kind well, of right. No, well, you decide. You're the one. You count, counsel I, no, your I own. Think, well, we'll, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll talk about it in some fashion, and I think you're right that it should be in the spoiler slot, so we'll save that towards the end. But I, I hoisted a new mini-topic. Speaking of, what was it, the delicate interplay of all the different programs? Oh, there's a very delicate, very intricate interplay of the different programs. Yeah, of all the great shows, right. Mm. Uh, <laughs> this, this one was inspired by oh, sort of like one that. of those... One of those singular visions is sort of like an image that just, uh, you know, insinuates itself into your mind and pop, there it is. And that, that vision is of a certain other co-host taking $250 worth of frozen beef and putting it into two inches of boiling oil. <laughs> <laughs> and just now that it's all, when I close my eyes, that's all I can see and all I can think about <laughs> <laughs> on another program, another friend of mine named John had gone in on a cow. He got all Michael Pollan and went in on a, on a steer and uh, got a bunch of meat and white like butcher paper. And John, I mean, don't you have to say that to John's credit? John is very, John um, Roderick is very straightforward about admitting that he really does not know how to cook anything. I'm sure that's, not, that's, when, that's why this topic's come up. It's not, I'm not, I'm not trying to shame him or anything. It was, yeah. it, was a, it was a funny story, but like the, the vision of it, like I think, I think the money spent and the whole like going in on a cow that, you know, that not that he was friends with, but that he knew kind of like socially, like an acquaintance um, <laughs> that, that adds a lot to it because I know what it's like to, you know, I felt this myself. Sometimes you buy a very expensive ingredient and you don't feel like you are up to the job of doing it justice because you have oh, yeah. you spent a lot of money and you're like, at first you're excited. I'm getting the fancy ingredient, but then you realize I, this, this is I, someone who knows better what to do with this shit, but then but you got the stuff and you got to do it. So there he is, you right. know, trying, trying his best to, uh, and you know, and and the as you noted on that on that program, he had a very uh, difficult and important admission, which was that he does not know how to cook a steak. Which I've is, never, uh, I've maybe never in my life had more respect for John Roderick than when, as a late forties man, he said in public that he doesn't know how to cook a steak. Right, that makes me think so much more. And man, somebody who admits something like that, because most guys, boy, have I got some horror stories for you about guys who think they know how to cook. <gasps> oh, it's an affliction. They don't learn. But John, well, steak, you know, more... steak in particular, because it's like the whole, you yes. know, it's a, the, the masculine ideals. You have to be able to cook steak. Right? Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. But, uh, I mean, I have my own so many stories. I remember one night, mm, summer between junior and senior year in college, I was pretty high and decided uh, to make a quote unquote hash browns. And so this is the way that I made hash browns. I remember this very clearly. I took uh, two Idaho potatoes cut them into cubes, fill a cast iron skillet with peanut oil and threw the raw potatoes into the peanut oil. And then I put some salt and pepper on them. I think you've told the same story on the same program uh, in the past. And yes, that's, I mean, I feel like that's understandable. It made a lot of smoke and basically burned the outside of a raw potato while keeping the inside magnifique perfectly raw. But that's the thing. If you haven't, if you've never made this before and you don't watch cooking shows on television, you don't know about par cooking. You don't know anything about like. Par cooking is a baller move. That is, par cooking is the best. 
But like if you if you've never seen it before, if you've just eaten it, you're like, well, this is a potato and it looks like it's cut into cube shapes. And so making this should be a matter of taking potato in cube shapes and making it hot. And you see it brown, so you don't think boiling is involved at all. Uh, so it's kind of understandable. It, you, you know, as you, yeah. as you noted on the program, steaks, like it seems like, oh, you, it's a piece of meat and you just make it hot on both sides. And then you just make it the right amount of hot that you like and you're done. But as you noted, it is actually a very subtle art to get it right. And it takes practice and it takes some... It takes a mental model that actually matches somewhat closely to the reality of steak. Um, but that's not the topic. The topic is not let's all uh, talk about strange things that John Roderick does on another mm-hmm. program. The topic that this brought to mind is about teaching your kids to cook. And I guess it could be like learning to cook for us when we were young. This is a mini topic. But but yeah. also I'm thinking of my kids. Again, not not to... Not to slam John, not that he ever listens to this program, but nope. uh, how do you get your kids not to end up as a 40-something-year-old taking $250 for the frozen meat and putting it into two inches of oil? How do you avoid that? Well, especially that? when like, he said one of them was like flank steak. It's another one of those things where it's like, no, no, you would tenderize that and you would cook it in this way. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's all, it's like, it it's all the same. Way. It's just, it's just like, red, red muscly things and like right. just... It, well, I mean, like, not to go on about this, but like, the classic is ribs. Like, there are guys yeah, who fancy right. themselves home barbecuers, and they go out and they buy all these. First of all, they don't even buy pork ribs. They buy those disgusting, oversized beef ribs that they don't know how to cook. They take a slab of beef ribs, get a nice hot fire, <laughs> cover mm-hmm. it with gooey, sugary, jarred barbecue sauce, which is basically like it's basically like tangy lighter fluid. They throw mm-hmm. that onto the fire. <laughs> a giant flame ensues. There's a ball of fire, and then burnt poison ribs are served to the disappointed family. still raw on the inside <laughs> bleeding next to the bone another example of par cooking it goes for ribs it goes for carrots it goes for so many things you just cook it for a little while before you cook it and it's so much better that's all i'll say about that yeah so I'll so how do, you, how do you this not, is a good topic yeah i yeah. like this how do you not end up like that how do you first of all the first question i think is do you think that you actually came out of your childhood with sufficient knowledge of how to prepare food for yourself and in a, in a satisfactory way. Not saying you're a super duper chef, but like that you can do more than open a package and pour its contents out into a, into a plate. Absolutely not. And why is that? Because in part, my mother was understandably very cautious. I was a latchkey kid. So I would do things like I would heat stuff up in the microwave, do stuff that involved like heating soup in a pan, something that involved boiling water. I feel like the first time I ever cooked something in anything like a really convention, I mean, apart from like jokey camping stuff and scouts, like uh, probably when I was about 12, I learned how to make like ham and eggs, which was not surpassingly hard, but I'd never made it before. Um, I don't know, maybe I'd made scrambled eggs in the microwave because that's how we used to make it in the 70s. But you, uh, well, you made scrambled eggs in the microwave? Do I want to know what that involves? I can't even envision it. Our, you know, our countertop range came with a cookbook for all the various kinds of surprising things that you could make in this. And there, many of them were uniformly terrible because of the lack of browning. I mm. once tried to cook an entire chicken in a microwave and it was, <laughs> <laughs> it was not, it was not a good experience. But to answer your question, no, uh, for whatever reasons, as far as why. The other reason why is like, you know, we're simple people. Like uh, most of the vegetables that we ate 
I think this is true for a lot of people, but maybe especially in the suburbs in Cincinnati. Most of the vegetables we ate were generally canned, sometimes frozen, very occasionally fresh, but it was pretty unusual. That was just, and not because, it, partly I'm sure it was partly because of money, but it was also just because of convenience and that's like, that's just what our people ate. So when you said that you learned how to make scrambled eggs, who taught you that? I feel like the version in the microwave, I feel like that was in the book. To be honest, my, my horrible uh, stepfather, uh, who was a chef, uh, showed me how to make ham and eggs when I was 12. And I was very proud of myself, and it became my go-to go-to meal. So I, I feel like at that point, you're 12, and you're learning to make ham and eggs from your horrible stepfather. Mm-hmm. You're at that point. I feel like you're mostly on track. Really, I, I feel like I missed my window. I mean, I, you know, okay, I, you know, I'm leaving out lots of stuff. This is not any way to like. I'm not trying to slam my mom, but like, no, we did stuff like bake cookies and stuff like that. But I, if you, I mean, like, like obviously, an extreme example is chopped junior or like Master Chef with kids, and I, I watched that, and I'm like, this is this feels so implausible to me. Like, I know kids know how to cook, but there are kids using like these French techniques that are like nine. No, no spoilers, but my kid does not like to be in the kitchen when there's a fire happening. Like, she does not <laughs> like the range to be on. It freaks her out. So, I don't know. You I just th- thought I how to make everything in the microwave. No flames. We're working on that. Well, and that's B. Part B is I want. I don't want to make this too long, but I also feel like when you say teaching your kids to cook, there's also this bigger superset of like teaching your kid how to use the kitchen, which... I think you yeah, have to get into that circle. Yeah. But it's important because like I the part of it is I'm reluctant just knowing the mess that she can make, you know, it doesn't matter. But like the 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 stuff that is involved in her deciding that for the next hour she's going to do something with magic sand, there's not even any <laughs> food involved. But like she's making all the Steven Universe gems and like it's just a scene, man. And that does not involve cooking. So that's my answer. My answer is I, th- I feel like I missed my window a little bit. Well, well, like I said, I think at 12, you're more or less on track because that's kind of the age where usually some adult in your life probably just gets fed up with you and says, uh, you need to know how to make something for yourself because I'm tired of cooking all of your meals for you and you complaining about them. Uh, and so maybe, you know, 10, 11, 12, like double digit ages, I feel like most kids get their first instruction on how to do something uh and you hope it's a sort of a continuing education where you expand your repertoire like there's i feel like there is the potential to feel empowered at that moment Mm -hmm. uh like it's it can seem like a chore like oh uh my parents aren't gonna always make my food for me but on the other hand now you're empowered to make your own food the way you want it, when you want it, there's even a lot to of, a very a lot of angles. Degree. There's a lot of angles to it that represent various different kinds of success and independence. That it's it's not just yay, I made an egg. There's a lot to it because now, I mean, it's almost like you know when you learn how to drive. There's a lot more to that than functionally understanding the mechanics of moving a car around. It's like that represents this bigger thing. It's very much for cooking, I think. Yeah, and I think it, that continues along in the home and for me i don't know if this is still a thing in schools but eventually uh it sort of culminates in home ec class whether that be in middle school or in high school did you have home ec it existed um at my high school but i didn't take it didn't ta- you didn't have it you had a choice like you could take like a wood shop or home ec and you chose well, wood shop I, or the, whatever. the junior at the junior high you've heard me mention that vocational wheel where you would do like mm-hmm. i think it was six weeks of all these different things i don't remember at this point but i think that was involved but that was that took place in the class uh seventh grade and i got there in eighth grade but you know no i mean home ec was like how to be a wife class mostly in high school 
Well, I mean, was it was it actually how to be a wife, or was it uh, how to do all the things that wives are traditionally expected to do? The latter. Yeah, like, it was. And, it was usually involved. There was uh, seems uh, sewing, cooking. Uh, I'm trying to think what else was that. The checkbook class that might have been the check where you learn how to write a check too. But it was like how, basically how to run a house kind of stuff. Yeah, so home ec was not optional for me when I was a kid, and I think I took it multiple times, maybe starting in middle school. Um, everyone had to take it, and the things we learned were, the ones I remember were basically sewing and cooking. A couple different forms of sewing. We made pillows, we made stuffed animals. Uh, we learned how to use a sewing machine. Um, and then the cooking portion of it. And the cooking portion was about 50%, like you said, how to use the kitchen. Here's all the things that are in a kitchen. Here's basic safety guidelines about using things in the kitchen. Right. Here's how to wash dishes, another very important skill. And you know that you still haven't gotten to the point where you're cooking any food, right? Mm-hmm. And then finally, here's how to follow a recipe and cook various things. Uh, and looking around at that class or during any phase, it was clear who in the class had no foundation in whatever we were doing. You know, which one oh, of these I'll people bet. has never seen a needle before? Like, doesn't understand how a needle and thread works versus the ones that are bad at sewing but understand that the thread goes through the needle and how it works. How many of these people have never seen a sewing machine? No familiarity with the basics. It's like you see this in in kindergarten where there's some kids. My kid had been in four years of preschool at that point. And and so – and she – so by some standards, she was way ahead. And there were some kids, it was the first time they'd been away from their mom for the day. And you really feel that. When you go into a class like that, it's really not that different from the – like shop classes where like there are some people who have obviously got, got a very rough idea and other people who are like, Oh my God, this is all totally foreign to me. Yeah. And it's the job of those classes to say, look, you know, some people are going to come up with no knowledge and, and you know, it's a class that's going to say, you don't have to know anything about a sewing machine because we will start from basic principles. This is a sewing machine and just here are the parts of the sewing machine and here's how it works. And some people are rolling their eyes, but other people are, are learning this for the first time. And the same thing with the cooking stuff. Um, and I feel like by the time, you're in that home ec class. If you haven't gotten anything at home, you come out of that home ec class with some basics. You know how to put out a grease fire. You know how to not burn yourself. You know how to wash dishes really badly and make a mess. Yeah. You know how to do basic sewing. Uh, you, you know how a sewing machine works and what it's used for. And not that I'm saying that, you know, oh, you know, this, the public education system is going to prepare everybody for life. But I felt somewhat reassured that even the people who came into that class knowing nothing, or same thing for woodshop. You come into woodshop not knowing which end of the hammer to use, right? You come out not able to do stuff, but you know which end of the hammer to use. You know how it's supposed to be done, even if you can't do it. And that kind of basic familiarity with sort of life skills, same thing with check writing, right? Mm-hmm. I, I was reassured that all these other tiny, smelly little people who are going through this experience with me, that we are all getting some kind of baseline familiarity so that when I was an adult, nobody would be a fellow adult with me and not know how to make an egg, right? Mm-hmm. But these days, I wonder, you know, because all those classes have been cut because you have to, you know, teach the test and it's more important to, to you know, I don't know. Like, these classes are all gone except for in the ritzy schools or private schools or after school activities where you pay $300 a week for your kid to learn how to cook somewhere else after school. Mm-hmm. These classes don't exist anymore. And now I feel like it's more on the parents to either pay for the $300 a week class after school or to teach themselves how to cook. And for cooking and stuff like that, that's more traditional. Uh, I think that happens much more often in families than, for example, 
learning how to use a sewing machine <laughs> as, as a as a thing we expect all parents to teach their kids because how many parents know how to use a sewing machine? How, does, a does it come really, up that It's much? a very complicated thing, a sewing machine. Sewing machines are awesome. They're like a, an engineering wonder. Yeah, so with my kids, I I don't I have no expectation that anyone but but us, but my wife and I are going to teach them any of these things because they're not in the education system anymore. But I don't want my children to grow up and buy a cow that they were acquainted with and put its frozen meat into oil. I don't want that. I don't mm-hmm. want that to happen to them. And I can't. I'm also not willing to say, well, I'm sure they'll meet someone in life who will be their spouse slash life partner and hope that that person knows how, you know, the washing machine works and how to uh, uh, clean dishes and how to cook things. So I'm starting to feel this burden now that I have one barely teenager who's 13 and one 10 year old and I want them both to figure this out. And I don't really have a strategy. And I was wondering if you had started on anything with your children in this vein. Uh, I've got a semi-unified field theory, but we haven't done much. She's got a fire thing. It's kind of like her main thing. Not a fan of fire. And uh, she might be a Frankenstein. Can, can you imagine if uh, if she grew up in the stop, drop, and roll era? Or, like, where she like, has lockdown drills every month. <laughs> yeah, but that's not, you know, what to do in case you're on fire. That's yeah. what to do in an even worse scenario, but it was no, such I mean, a big it's, part. It's, I mean, it's another, it's one of those... I don't know. I think she's convinced herself that she's more scared of it than she is. But, uh, you know, when they say there's such a great concept that I, that I wish would become wider understood, the idea of pre-literacy, it's just this idea. I'm sure you know this, but if you're not a parent, pre-literacy is this idea that literacy does not start with your child learning to read and then reading. It starts with actually a lot of like fairly subtle things like two quickies, like have books at the house around, have books that, that are theirs, even if it's a board book or a picture book or whatever. But like the, the, the nut is that like, I don't know if there's any scholarship on this, but kids who are around things to read or who are taken to the library on a regular basis, they tend to read easier and faster if they're very accustomed to the idea that like books are a part of my life and this is a thing that we do. That's why they say do the reading and stuff. I feel the way a little bit with cooking right now. We're like, you know, I hope she's playing the drums in her head a little bit where, you know, I think she, again, knows more than she thinks she knows. But when she is ready, you know, when she is ready, like she's been around it a lot. She's helped out a lot. What she has not done is apply heat to things beyond some microwaving. What about your, your, your roughly similar aged girl? Where's she at with it? Well, so the, speaking of the pre-literacy thing, like I'm a believer in that too, because, you know, you get preached it as part of the the wave of parenting advice that we were both swept up in for having kids of similar ages. And we did have books all over the house and, and my kids are fairly good readers. And I think that all worked out. The food thing seems different to me because it's, you know, we, we cook a lot in the house. Like we're not, we're not takeout people. Mm-hmm. We're not, you know, prepared meals. We cook, uh, pretty much all the time. Uh, and so, very often it's warming up leftovers, but it's leftovers of stuff that we cooked. Right. Right. And so it's like, oh, that's great. It's like having lots of books in the house. If they always see you cooking, like this thing is happening. But the, both kids it's just more like seems, seeing other people reading. <laughs> but that, that's part of her literacy, seeing right. your parents reading, seeing it's a part of their life as well. But you're doing, you're doing you know. all the heavy lifting. Right. But they, they seem so much more mercenary when it comes to food. They're like, I don't need to be involved until you call my name and tell me the food is ready. Like the dog, you know, <laughs> like the bowl. Oh, I've had to start. I've had exactly. I've had to start laying down the law. It now now the the phrase. Pasta is ready is immediately followed by pause that. 
Like you must come in mm-hmm. here and interact with this. So last night I made her her, uh, her fried tofu that yeah, I mentioned before. Mm-hmm. Made her a pound of fried tofu and some yummy green noodles. And she likes to layer those. So you put in a little bit of noodle and it's a little thing we do together. But like, I, I, do, I don't like that drill of like, I am your staff member who just attends to these needs and your food comes out of this room and the dishes go back in and everybody else takes care of it. Yeah. And, and like, and unlike the reading, they, they have, they're not, we're, it doesn't seem like we're modeling for them a thing that they're supposed to do. It just seems like what we're doing for them is uh, modeling their future as, uh, as permanent residents of a five star hotel where, where <laughs> staff isn't here back and call. And, and, and if you don't like this, it, you can send it back. They'll bring you something different. <laughs> yeah. And, and this, exactly. This gets to the other point that you just added to the notes here. Part of where I think, uh, things start to come to the head is when they start treating the staff poorly where mm-hmm. you call them for dinner. They don't come because they're in the middle of something. You tell them they have to come now. They roll their eyes. They come, they sit down and then they complain about whatever it is you put in front of them. Even if it's a meal that like is literally their favorite meal. Especially, three days especially ago. when you're summoned to the room, as we've talked about, I get some, I got summoned this afternoon for like three times to come in and deal with audio issues with her iPod and the earphones. <laughs> And while she had the earphones on and she couldn't get her Steven Universe playlist to go. So she's just yelling across the house, just summoning yeah. me. And I'm like, Could some, you please- some terrible injustice has happened. Electronics are not working. Call dad. <laughs> Isn't that, are you so, excuse me. Excuse me. Uh, boy, aren't you supposed to be dealing with this? Right. Do, do you understand <laughs> that my iPod isn't working? Do you understand? I don't how think you, you understand. This, how did you let this happen? Right. Like, no matter it, what it, I do with the jack. It won't play these two songs any more than these two songs. And I was like, oh, okay. I mean, it's, it's as if that she's notifying you that the oxygen has been removed from the house. Don't you understand <laughs> the, the air? This house is now a, a complete vacuum. Like how whatever is happening the day must halt. But anyway, they start complaining about food. Your reaction as a tired parent is eventually like, you don't like it. Maybe you should learn how to cook, right? Like, yeah. You're getting to be that age, right? You're 13 you, you year old complaining. You hate to feel those words forming in your mouth, I but know, it does you happen. Do, but like, but at the point where your 13 year old is complaining about being presented with pizza, that's where you start. That's where even the most patient parent starts to think, "All right, oh, I, I had that. I had that right, today with a new writing toy that we have. Oh, oh, very frustrating." <laughs> I can't I eventually found myself saying, I can't believe I have to persuade you to do a fun thing. Well, but seriously, though, like, I mean, it depends. Every kid is different, right? But and yeah. very picky eaters, you know, can be a problem for all sorts of reasons. But just if you have one of those medium picky eaters where it's not such a big deal that you're currently constantly conscious of it, but they're also not easy, they will eventually like find your limit. We're like, we're again, where they're complaining about pizza. It's like, so now this is what it's come to now. You're complaining about pizza, like you, you know, you're already giving them the junky, you know, faster food, or or they'll complain that your homemade pizza that you you made from them from scratch for them that they would rather have like takeout pizza. I don't like this pizza. I only like the takeout pizza. You know. Anyway, um, and that, but that's I mean, that's and, and like, isn't isn't there some part of your brain? And again, it's not a part that I'm proud of, but there's a part of my brain where I think about like you know, bad on us for helicopter parents, but we when we're thinking about what to have for dinner. Like when I'm deciding as the decider of dinner, I'll like ask around, like, what does everybody want for dinner? And I think I just remember, I didn't even know what dinner was until I was at the table. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what kind of influence did you have on what your dinner was going no to be? influence. It's shoe peg corn and you're going to eat it. <laughs> yeah. It's some pretty terrible things. And, you know, but anyway, but like 
It's, canned it's asparagus. Bad, it's, I, I didn't it, have anything but canned asparagus until college. <laughs> I never, all I'd ever had was Green Giant canned asparagus and not much because it was kind of costly. Can you yeah, imagine that's, that? So, so <laughs> I, I don't, that's another good thing. I wasn't mainly subjected to canned things and neither are my kids, but like they, they'll find a reason to dislike everything. But yeah, but this is a, this is all this is a, a bad motivation. Uh, you know, it, this is not the way you want this to happen, but it's a bad motivation for a good thing that I think has to happen, which is your kids need to do stuff. And the, the sub point that I was alluding to earlier that you added to the notes was, uh, when do your kids start doing their own laundry? That right. comes into like them complaining, like if you give them the smallest uh, chore of like, could you take your washed and folded clothes and carry them from here and put them into the drawers in your room? And that is seen as just an incredible injustice. Again, mm-hmm. like <laughs> these just need to appear clean and folded in my drawers. You want me to carry them from this bed into my bedroom? Why am I the doing this? Clothes, the clothes that you gathered, cleaned, dried, and folded and aren't folded right, right now. Aren't, need to be carried. What? <laughs> they will say, why can't you do that? Why do I have to do that? And that's about the time when your 13-year-old says that you start thinking, perhaps you'd like to do your own laundry. (laughs) And again, a bad motivation, but it's an important skill that kids need to have because if if this never happens and your kids are always polite and say thank you and are very appreciative of everything you do and you do everything for them until they're 18 and they leave the house and go off to college never having cooked themselves anything, never having cleaned a dish and never having done laundry, you are doing them a disservice. So we need to find the right time and the right way to do these. Now, I, I... Part of me probably has been hoping that this wouldn't be an issue because my kids would be just tiny little clones of me. And I was always motivated by my own curiosity to learn about these things. Like I've I've been watching cooking and home improvement shows since I I don't remember starting to watch them since since I can have any conscious memory. Right. Like in reading books about uh, topics and watching lots of PBS shows about things and just. And not just like a little bit, but like, you know, every single day coming home from school, watching three cooking shows, right? Before I had cooked a single thing in my entire life, before I was allowed to go in the kitchen. That was one of my first just, TV shows was a Galloping Gourmet. I used, I used to love that show. I thought it was the funniest thing in the world. Or, or Julia Child Julia or anything Child, like yeah, that, right? Yeah. And I don't know why I was interested in watching them. I don't know why I was watching home improvement shows. Process, I mean, from your with somebody with your mind, I mean, I think anybody, especially a little kid, loves process. Think about like kids like you know, like we've talked about watching those those videos of how machines make things. Like I, yeah, I like, like on the like, Sesame Street mach- Electric Company or whatever they show you crayons like, are I, made. I follow machine picks on uh, on Twitter where it'll just be like, here is a machine that squirts this foam on top of coal so that it doesn't make dust in a in a railway car. And like I'll just watch stuff like that all day. But so B or A process. I think kids love process, but B with your kind of curious what would become an engineering kind of mind, like understanding how how specifically the thing got made. Not generally, not in a hand waving way. But isn't that kind of a basic curiosity? Is like how does you're the kind of person yeah. that would take a clock apart, like or how how specifically a sewing machine works? Which I knew before my first home ec class because I'd seen twenty PBS specials saying like, all right, sewing machine. Everyone knows that it sews, but but how, what actually happens? Like it looks like it's going really fast, going up and down. But what is it, what is it actually doing? And like slowing it all down and sewing breaking it down. Sewing machines and pianos. I can't believe that these have existed mm-hmm. as long as they have. I was I was watching this video last night of this guy that plays these radio head covers on a piano. And I just kept staring at the piano going like, who made that? Like, yeah, that's have you more, watched the how to, build a, how to build a piano things? There's a lot no, of good ones on YouTube. I'm going to do that. I will Building do that. Building piano is it's crazy. The, uh, the, and the it's one an I, engineering probably, wonder, like all of those strings staying in tune with that amount of tension. And there's like three strings per string per key. And it's like, it's crazy. 
And, and speaking of Intune, you probably know all this from your vague uh, toe dips into music theory, but I had no idea about it until basically the modern internet era where I think I saw like a, a YouTube video on this about how pianos are tuned, like, like specifically to, to how... generate overtones? That, that uh, because of the spacing of the notes, you can't actually tune them to, in an ideal, perfect way. You have to sort of fudge them a little bit to spread them out over the spectrum of the notes. And, you know, that, that's why it's more of an art than a science. Like, I don't remember the details of it. I remember being fascinated by it. Same thing with the construction of pianos. Very complicated things, but... Anyway, sorry. So, sewing machine, yeah. knowing, knowing how it works. So, do you have a strategy for this? Getting back to my kids, the hope was like, I, I won't have to worry about this too much because they will be so curious that they will watch everything that we do in the kitchen and pick up through osmosis how to cook and how to clean things. And even if they don't actually do it, this was true of me, like even if they don't actually do this stuff, because I didn't I didn't touch anything in the kitchen for years. I watched years and years and years of cooking on television obsessively before I touched before it occurred to me to touch a single thing in the kitchen. As soon as I did. I had this tremendous background of knowing more or less what's involved. Didn't know how to do anything at it. Wasn't good at doing it, but I but I knew what was involved, right? I would mm-hmm. never have cut up the potatoes and put them into the pan because, you know, you never see somebody do that, right? Right. And, and you know, and well, you still, know, they, they weren't high in Florida. Yeah. Uh, and so, and same thing with the home improvement stuff. Although the home improvement stuff I started on sooner because so my dad had a lot of tools and me being a destructive uh, child, I immediately took to all of his tools and just, destroyed them i'm surprised that he let me do that but i did um and so i learned how to to mess with tools but the kitchen was you know for 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 the same reason for fire reasons you know like you could burn yourself there it's dangerous you know it's off limits to kids but anyway this doesn't seem to be happening with my kids they're curious about a lot of things but none of them have to relate to their day-to-day life they're not curious about cooking or home improvement or sewing machines or laundry this episode of reconcilable differences is brought to you by app optics Application monitoring shouldn't break the bank. AppOptics is a next-gen application performance management system built specifically to help developers and DevOps teams trace distributed transactions through their complex environment. AppOptics includes broad APM language support with auto-instrumentation, simple and easy-to-use infrastructure monitoring, which is all built in, and it's all supported by a large open community. Their plans start at just $7.50 a month, and you can learn more at appoptics.com slash differences. That's appoptics.com slash differences. Our thanks to App Optics for supporting Reconcilable Differences and all of Relay FM. Let me ask a, a related question. So like in the same way I was expanding it to like use of the kitchen. Do they have any curiosities about how the household runs in general? Yeah, I mean, apart apart from the social justice issues about chores and allowance and that mm-hmm. kind of stuff, is there anything where they're like getting into gardening? Even is there something where like they're interested in? Well, I think we can both stipulate <laughs> our kids aren't interested in keeping their collections looking good. No. <laughs> but is there anything where they show an affinity for some aspect of like you know how the donuts get made? So my daughter is more interested in this uh, in this stuff than my son. She's more interested in things related to the running of the house whether not, not not that she's a lot interested like but enough interested that she has a passing knowledge of how perhaps one might fold clothes <laughs> of different types <laughs> right so uh-huh. how, do, how do you fold how do you fold a pair of pants versus a shirt not that she can do a good job of it but she knows sort of what's involved she's never washed a dish but she's seen us do it enough and i think she knows she does she's very interested in 
in trying to cook something, sort of, but she has no foundation and doesn't want to be taught anything. So she will just take the uh, the messiest, most stain-producing ingredients she can find out of the refrigerator and mix them together and make a terribly unappetizing thing, which she will then leave on the counter to molder until an adult finds it. But that's that's mm. almost cooking, right? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Right. Uh, you know, and and you know, now she's she's ten now, and she actually does know how to make a few things herself. Uh, and my frustration is not because. I taught her how to do them because she's still 100% resistant to me teaching her anything. Let me show you how to make an egg. No, oh, don't show me. I'll, I know how to do it. Mm-hmm. And if she doesn't know how to do it, she'll look up a YouTube video on how to do it, which is fine. Like, that's her kind of learning. But I would like it if I could <laughs> maybe show her how to make an egg and maybe make part of the lesson also how to wash the dishes uh. as opposed to now I just know how to make a mess of eggs. And on my fifth try, I'll scrape out three little bits of overcooked egg uh, out of the nonstick pan with a metal fork and put them in my mouth and then leave the room. And mm. if you're lucky, I'll turn off the burner, right? Yeah. So that's kind of where we're at with her, where she's shows a vague interest but doesn't want to hear anything from me about it. And mostly she's motivated to do anything involving cooking, either because she's got some idea in her head about some dessert type thing. Because I finally did get her onto like the kids' baking thing. So now she's finally watching some cooking shows. So she's got an idea about that. And a lot, very often they make desserts and she's into that. Mm-hmm. Or because she dislikes what we're having for dinner so much that her final out in the negotiation, in the, in the protracted negotiations for what's going to happen at the dinner table is, what if I make myself something? Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, what do you think you're going to make yourself because you don't know how to make anything? Well, what if I make myself this thing? Oh, no, that's not healthy. And we go back and forth until she lands upon something that she feels like she can make that we feel like it constitutes a dinner meal that is healthy that is made of things that we have in the house. And inevitably she goes back and tries to do it and makes a mess and complains. But it's like, that's where What's, a, what's an that. example of something that, that, that usually makes it to the plate? So eggs, she's big on eggs. But she, as, she makes them like on the range source. and everything. Most uh, on the range, on the counter next to the range, mm. on, on various parts that are near the range. Eggshells might be found in many different places as yeah, well. Sure. She could there are ways to make eggs that would be more successful than the thing that it is she does with eggs, which involves <laughs> heat and eggs. Yeah, but right? yeah, but you know, she already knows. You, you can't teach her, she knows. I know. It's a problem. Right? Um, John, I struggle with that so much. It's so freaking hard to like I where I'm just like, look, this you're so close to understanding this, but like you keep doing the wrong thing. And I could just show you this one thing that will show you the right way to do it. And now you will know how to do it. Yeah, it's like it's like approaching like it's like approaching a cat like in the right way that it'll let you pet. Like you can't you have to frame it in a way of like I'm not teaching you anything. We're just oh just we're do, we're in this yeah. together. Let's do a fun just, thing just together. A couple buds hanging out. Yeah, just like you know, just in passing. Oh, you know, check it out. Like I like to do it like this. Like you have to, it's you have to trick them into. <laughs> it you wouldn't can't, it be wouldn't it be cool and groovy if we tried it this way? Yeah, it is very difficult to do because your first instinct is like, oh, great, I can, you know, let me show you how to make an egg. Like there's just almost they sense it from a mile away that you're trying to teach them something and they, they resist. Um, but I'm just got. They have and, a know, radar for that. It's that it's similar to that radar for like you're about to try and sell them on doing something they don't want to do. Mm-hmm. You're like, hey, I got a cool idea for Saturday morning, and they're like, no. Yeah, that sounds like you have something useful to do that I will find slightly boring. Yeah. So she does. Uh, she she's making herself sandwiches. One of the first things she made, you know, peanut butter and jelly sandwich, uh, which you would think is a straightforward thing. Until you've watched a seven or eight year old try to spread anything on a piece of bread. Mm. I don't even know if I could explain to an adult how to spread 
peanut butter onto a piece of bread. But it's like telling Grasshopper how to walk on the rice paper. It just takes a long time to realize how to do it without messing it up. It's you can't if you you could teach the outline of it, but it's something you just got to do lots of times before you stop making ugly sandwiches. Well, yeah, but I like I, I feel like I have a, at this point. It has been many years of me trying to get her to understand how to spread peanut butter on a piece of bread. And I've patiently explained the nuances of it, like not all at once, like today for this week, I'm going to tell you 30 seconds of advice about peanut butter. I'm not going to mention peanut butter again for the rest of the month. Right. I'm not overwhelming her with like the complete instructions on how to make a sandwich and saying, you know, when you're pushing the peanut butter along the bread, maybe angle the knife a little bit, kind of like a snowplow. There's a difference between spreading and pushing. It feels like like pushing, but spreading is different. Right, like if you have the knife angled where the leading edge is is low and the trailing edge is high, uh-huh. you are not going to be as successful as if you reverse it. The mm-hmm. leading edge is high and the trailing edge is low. Try try it that way, mm-hmm. and that's it for like a month. You can't say anything about peanut butter for the rest of the month <laughs> because it's too too overwhelming. Three years of that, still working on the angle of the knife, and it's not really sticking. But she will successfully eventually make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich looking thing again leaving the counter a mess and everything like that and eat it and even though that doesn't constitute a sufficient dinner meal there always has to be some kind of vegetable and other things involved and then it it's better than nothing my son seems almost completely uninterested to the point where he will just grumble and eat whatever's in front of him because anything is better than having to cook something for yourself i guess really yeah i mean he likes more of the things that we actually make which helps i don't know why but he does he's been he's come around on most of the stuff that we make that he actually likes it uh, but he doesn't want to really cook himself anything. He also doesn't know how to. He's more receptive to instruction, but he just doesn't want to cook. He will make himself snacks, quote unquote, make himself, which is like, I found the goldfish container and I'm going to dump out some goldfish into this bowl. Now I've made myself a snack. What have you actually made there? You have poured a prepackaged salty cracker thing into a bowl, but that's progress. Yeah, he's going to go into high school next year. Okay. And I think we're going to use that as an opportunity to cut off the breakfast train which i said i was going to cut off when he went into middle school but i i uh i chickened out Mm -hmm. just because i felt bad because it's not that he can't make himself breakfast he can pour a bowl cereal for himself but i think he's still i think if we had stopped making him pouring his bowl of cereal in middle school it would be further confirmation that we no longer love him Mm -hmm. because you you pour uh, my younger sister is the, you know, the usurper. Oh, it's the child. reverse of the, I don't get to watch that movie. In this case, she still gets waited on. Exactly. It's like, oh. well, three, she's three years younger. Well, then why does she get it? You know? So it's like, all right, I will still continue to pour your cereal for middle school. But in high school, mm-hmm. time's going to come. It's like, you have to get your own bowl and pour your own cereal. And we have to just, we'll talk about it for a long lead up to it to say, let us all now intellectually understand this is not a reflection of our lack of love for you. You are merely you are merely three years older than your sister. Why does she still get it poured? Yeah, three years. It's this three years is an insurmountable mental barrier to to understand. Like, do you remember what it was like for you three years ago? Mm-hmm. Can you think back three years and how different you were then? That's where she is now. The child's mind has a has a great uh, lean toward their own personal justice. Yeah, I'm. I feel like I gave my daughter slightly short shrift because now I'm thinking about it and I'm writing some things down. There are some things like, okay, so on the one hand, if it's something that she really wants and is very passionate about, she can be like an artist. 
So if it's like making her own bespoke, like hot chocolate, she's got like a whole way that she does it. She prefers me to heat the milk, but she knows how. Also, I'm kind of a pill about this. I think first you heat the milk for a minute, then you put in the mix. And then I think you heat it again for a minute because you're going to have heat loss. I realize this is my hang up, not hers. And she might want to put in some bespoke chips and stuff. She wants to get the maximum chocolate load that she can for this particular (laughs) visit. The other thing is things that feel like an art project or a craft project. Like she actually helps tons and sometimes we'll on her own go and make like a snack plate for everybody. It's adorable. Where she'll do like a crudite platter and arrange it. She's very into arrange. Whatever she makes, she wants to arrange a certain way on the plate very artistically. So she does do stuff like that. It's just I'm I'm being, um, I don't know, a cookist just because she doesn't use heat a lot. But she does a lot of kitchen stuff and she loves knives. When she makes you your little snack thing, is the kitchen a disaster or has, or has she entered the world of uh, the concept of cleaning up after yourself in the kitchen? Very good question. And that's where it gets, to, gets us to this larger issue of like how to be in the kitchen, how to deal with the kitchen. Because, I mean, I will feel better about encouraging things involving, say, flour and fire. Like once we get our head around the idea of like, I mean, one of her basic nightly chore things is all of her stuff that's garbage or plates or anything like that has to be out of the family room and the dining area and like at the right place. I know it's not a lot to ask, but you know, you gotta have gastro somewhere. So, I mean, she, she gets stuff like that, but yeah, I mean, to be honest, it's, especially when she was younger, it was so sweet that she wanted to do it at all. and was so proud of it. But yeah, I mean, all the way from the cabinet, there's a whole trail. It's like something out of a Tom and Jerry cartoon. It's like there's a cabinet open. There's a trail of stuff coming out of the cabinet that leads across the floor onto the kitchen island. And it's like following Jeffy around in the family circus. Like it's it's usually utter chaos. I have this uh, kind of perverse incentive now where we're at the point with the eating, speaking of like bowls being all over the house and everything where my wife has basically had it and is trying mightily to institute a housewide ban on eating anywhere. Basically, the kids are not allowed to eat anywhere except for sitting in their specific seats at the, at the table. No kidding. That's right. that's tough to, ooh, that's hard. So to, that's a hard line to defend. So she's trying to do that. And part of me was actually kind of hoping that what this would actually motivate is that, especially my daughter who is, not above deception. <laughs> she's totally she's totally willing to deceive. But she is apparently like <laughs> and she's not also the, not above a mess in the name of art, as we've seen. <laughs> yes. Like so but she's not she's not above deception at all. Okay. But in the battle between deception and remembering to clean up after yourself, like she can't she can't square that circle, right? So she'll steal a snack, you know, no one's there. She thinks no one's watching. She'll go in the kitchen, grab a snack run off with her little stocking feet <laughs> up into her room <laughs> and eat it or into into the living room and eat it, right? Assuming we actually haven't heard her do this, which you probably have because she's not as sneaky as she thinks she is, right? All she would have to do is not leave the wrapper like on the couch next to where she ate it. And yet you will come in there an hour later and mm-hmm. there will be the empty wrapper of some snack thing that she grabbed or like a half-eaten apple or like yeah, but like like Hershey, but Hershey's wrappers like just have the sense to hide those from me. Why, right, why, like, why you leave those saying, out? Like, what what happened to the me out? I feel like you're, you're like, treat me like a jerk here. You know, right? Like it's it would be so easy to secretly eat where you're not supposed to eat, and we would never know about it if you didn't leave a mess. And yet you right. can't you can't bring it together to say like I've got the deception. H- I have, I the, have the, the food. Res- have the respect to give me some plausible deniability here. 
right like and, and seriously like uh, and like i that result of, of kids secretly eating all over the house but we never know because they didn't leave a mess there i would find that an acceptable outcome because what we're really the whole reason we're, we're trying to ban them from eating anywhere is because they make messes everywhere that they eat and so if the goal is don't make messes everywhere that you eat i don't really care where you eat as long as i can't tell that you ate there and i'll but I can tell that you ate there if there is chocolate smeared on the sofa, if there are bread crumbs all over the place, like if there are wrappers all over the place. So it's like, what part of the, don't you understand the important part of the deception is like the cleaning up. If you secretly get the food and you eat it and it's like, well, the deception is done. I never need to clean up this wrapper. And then, you know, because we have the rule now, you get in trouble and there's consequences and so on and so forth. So I you got to teach my kids to like, don't you know how to be devious? Like, don't you know how to actually fool your parents? Not to like, half fool them but then give it up at the end by not cleaning up or is it just they feel like nothing is worth cleaning up this wrapper there's <laughs> there's no like it is it is a part of my identity that this wrapper will never be cleaned up i have finished eating this there's no, there's no answer that makes you there's no answer that's a happy and positive answer because like either, either the kid's not very bright <laughs> or they're just yeah. never gonna learn yeah i mean i I, think, I feel like eventually they will anyway so that's yeah all this stuff, laundry, laundry's coming to a head too because same thing. Kids complain about it. They complain about the you know we've been trying to crank up the number of things they do. Like now, both kids are supposed to take their clean folded clothes and put them into their drawers. They're starting to accept that. I'll keep cranking it up, but eventually, it's going to come the time where my son's going to have to do his own laundry, and my daughter will not because they are three years apart. <laughs> three actual she years. She still gets. She still gets. Why the, do you do? Why do you service. do her laundry? Why do I have to? Why do I have to do right. my laundry? Why? What what reason could there possibly be? Nothing is coming to mind. It's just, it's injustice. Well, mine was entirely practical in that case, which is that my mom worked a lot. And if I, I was uh, going through a big blue jeans period, and if I wanted my blue jeans washed and faded, and I wanted my Nike shirts to be clean, like there was one way that was going to happen. So you were putting those jeans on and sitting in the bathtub in the water and them? I mean, no one else can do that job. Worse, worse. Back then, I didn't buy 501s back then. Maybe 505s or whatever, like the typical jeans were back then. But, um... No, you could go to County Seat and you could buy you one of those packages of stuff that would, uh, you'd wash, wash your jeans in this stuff and it faded your jeans. You remember that stuff? I never used that stuff. I don't, Ooh. I never heard of that stuff until you mentioned it. I, my jeans came from the store and went on my body. That's what happened. Products like that made my mother very sad because she did not have a lot of, as a child. And she was very, you know, proud of what she was able to give me and the idea of taking a new pair of pants and making them look old mm-hmm. was very troubling to her. Did you call them dungarees? Dungarees, yeah, like, like Andy Griffith. Uh, you talk about things like, in this case, you, you, I'm not going to ask you to talk about this because I don't want to get you in trouble, but sometimes, oh, I should probably avoid this. This is why we need a safe word. Sometimes, uh, you know, maybe even a striking amount of the time, you and the other uh, theoretical head of the household have a lot of assent and agreement on the kinds of things that are important, the kind of things we need to deal with, and how we enforce that or, you know, how we encourage that, right? Let's just leave it at that. And then there are other times where one of you feels more strongly about it, but it hasn't become policy. And then there are times when one of you feels strongly about it, unilaterally makes it policy, and maybe you find out about it from the kid, not even from the other theoretical head of the household. But now that's kind of on you now, right? Even if you're just finding out about the rule or the new guideline for the first time, you feel like you, feel like you need to support it, right? 
Yeah, well, you're you are unwittingly signed up as part of an enforcement effort. You know, now now you're on the hook to enforce this thing. So first, you have to quickly understand it, and then you have to realize what it means to be the what it means to enforce this this new directive. There's only one eye in soldier, mm-hmm. right? So like, and especially if it's like one person makes a directive, but the issue only comes up when the other person is solo parenting, right? <laughs> like, you know, if you're always there for like the more, you know. If like as I, I see my kids off for the bus, for example, and if there was some rule that related to uh, seeing kids off on the bus, uh, if my wife came up with the rule, she's never going to be here to enforce it because I'm always oh, right. seeing them off on the bus. And so now she has made a rule essentially for me. And it's like I feel like once you're gone, I should be free to constitute to construct whatever system I need to construct to get these kids yes. onto the bus with. with it's clothes not. In, it's and not everything. technically in her purview. I mean, it is. Everything is, but it's like mm. it, it seems. It seems like a, a more difficult situation where it's like, like you don't, you don't know you don't know what it's like to try to get socks and shoes on these kids' feet. It's like you leave, and then these kids have bare feet. I have to get socks and shoes on them, and they have to get out the door, which seems like a simple thing, but mm-hmm. it's not. It's not at all. And so, without ever having to discuss it at this point, uh, I think we have a mutual agreement plan where we will support each other on these things. Usually, then later we'll talk about it and say like, what should we do about this? But like, um, I, I think it's it's part of the pact that you kind of that you agree to back up the other person. But at the same time, I think you have to tread lightly about coming up with rules for things that you're not doing the work on. Yeah, or even just universal things like the the no eating anywhere except for the kitchen. I'm not really opposed to that, but it seems like a rule made in anger without the ramifications really being thought through, like exactly how right. enforceable it is. And I was able to make peace with it by saying, look, if they just if they just deceive us successfully, I also consider the rule a success. Um, so we're in like we're in like week one of this and enforcement is already getting to be a little bit lax. And I don't know, maybe maybe the lesson is just that to impress upon the children how serious we are about the mess making. I don't, I don't know. Like, but anyway, that was, that was essentially a unilateral decision that I was swept on board with that I didn't contest. Like I'll support, yeah, but are you also but, enforcing uh, it? Are you enforcing it? I'm trying, but I'm not sure. Like I didn't see the plan ahead of time. What is our enforcement plan? Cause this seems like it's mm-hmm. a great idea to have, but how are we going to, how are we going to make this a reality? Like what is, what is the enforcement plan and schedule and what are the ramifications? Uh, I, I agree. Especially the way I think you nailed it with that idea that like, I don't want to say it's in anger or it's in frustration, but I, I think some, I think even the best of us is most inclined to make a somewhat arbitrary, but definitely sweeping new rule that often includes the words never or always. Mm-hmm. And once you've brought never or always into the situation, it gets complicated, not least because that makes my kid turn into a lawyer. First, there will be the adjudication at the level of, but mom said it's never going to be like that. Dad said it must always be like that. But and then now you get into, well, when you do that, you did not do that. And this one time you didn't remember, one time you let me do that and it was after seven o'clock. And so now you're going to be taking that all the way up to the Supreme Court because you've got an always or a never in there. And if that involves time, if that involves location, if that involves things maybe that you don't have control over, that gets complicated. It's hard to enforce. Uh, yeah, and really, uh, for us, I mean, I, I don't get as much of the rules lawyering because I will more or less just, uh, you know, I, I, I've enforced from a very, very young age the the injustice, the inherent injustice of relationship of parent and child. That almost, the answer to almost all of their questions from toddlerhood on up is like, why why do you get to do this and I don't? Just we, we talk so much about how I'm an adult and they're not and how 
Really? This is my house. <laughs> how, how this is, <laughs> this my is an house. interesting wrinkle. I did not know this. Yeah, very much we talk about this. Like, you're, not like, afraid to, you're not afraid to play that card? You don't feel like a hypocrite when you do that? From the very beginning. It's not, not hypocritical. It's, it's the nature of our relationship. There is a parent and It's the defining, and, and the, the defining characteristic. Right. Why, why does daddy get to eat ice cream out of the container on the couch? It's like, because daddy owns the house. Like, when you're a daddy, you can eat ice cream out of the container on the couch all you want. That's what it means to be a daddy or an adult. Like, why does daddy you know, get to play video games? Of course, games? you can't eat ice cream out of the container on the couch. You're not the dad. <laughs> That's like, what makes it a rule. <laughs> yeah, it's a rule. I make the rules. You follow the rules. Why does daddy get no, to play but, but, video but, games but after just bedtime? Like, <laughs> the, 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 there are so many things, like, again, from a very young age, it's like, why does daddy get to drive the car and I don't? Well, adults get to drive cars kids don't there are so many like why do you get to get the, the good seat on the sofa why do you get to kick the kids off of the good seat on the sofa because i'm the dad you make no attempt to soft pedal to soften the fact that that exists no not at all no no because because that because that's the truth the truth is it's because i'm the dad like when you're an adult <laughs> in, in your own house you can decide whether you want to eat ice cream out of the container you want to say kids you can't eat ice cream out of the container but oh, you're going to create monsters. They're going to be monsters. No, and it's not It's not arbitrary. It's like, it's, no, it's, you know, it's, it's, like, it's precisely arbitrary. <laughs> no, when, when you're an adult, you get you get to decide uh, how, you, you get to decide things for yourself that you don't get to decide when you're a kid. When mm-hmm. I was a kid, I didn't get to decide what we had for dinner. Like, like you just said, you had for dinner, like it's not a thing that you got to participate in. But when you're an adult, you can choose what you have for dinner every night, right? And if mm-hmm. you're an adult with kids, you can pick what you want to have for dinner you can consult the kids if you want, or you don't have to consult them. Like, it's up to you. Like, uh, So you're not pegging it to when you start paying for the food, you decide what we eat. You're pegging it to age. Oh, it's not. It's, it's, I mean, it's mostly just adulthood, but it really in the, in the parent-child. Like, why Why do the, the parents get to tell the children anything? Like, that's the relationship. We, the, the parents set down rules for the kids in the house. Like, that's the job of being a parent. Like, our job is to teach them how to, you know, grow and learn. Like, every time we have them get a new responsibility. I didn't used to have to put my dishes in the dishwasher. Why do I have to do it now? Part of the job of being a parent is to teach your kid all the things they're going to need to know. That's another thing I've been talking to them about since toddlerhood. It's like, if you didn't ratchet up your responsibilities, it's not as if you'd turn 18 and magically know how to do everything that the adults need to do. You need to learn them one at a time. You need to learn how to put your own clothes on. You need to learn how to tie your own shoes. You need to learn how to brush your own teeth. You need to learn how to wipe your own butt. Like, Mm -hmm. and... You can't wait until you're 18 to learn all these things. It's not like you'll magically turn into an adult and you'll know them. You have to learn them little by little. Uh, and so socializing that that idea just over and over and over again, I hope I'm teaching them sort of the inherent injustice of, of power dynamics that like parents, adults and children, a parent and child, that, that is not an equal relationship. And that there are certain responsibilities that the parent has and certain responsibilities that the kids have. And, you know, and through arbitrary stuff like eating ice cream out of the container or having good seat in the sofa, I hopefully I'm teaching them that like this this is this is the prize. Like in exchange for dealing with children, when you are the parent, you can decide. Oh, daddy gets to have ice cream out of the container because you know what, daddy bought this ice cream <laughs> and it's his ice cream and it's his house and he can have it. And it's not it's not even at his at his seat at the table, right? And so if they he's, sometimes he's flaunting all of the laws of the house. Yeah, sometimes they'll say, so if I pay for the ice cream, can I eat it on the couch? I'll be like, no, not in my house, you can't. I was oh. like, well, can I can I eat it on the couch in my own house? I'm like, yes, when you're an adult and you have your own house, you can choose where it's okay to eat ice cream. Like, that's part of what being an adult, I'll tell them all the bad parts. I kind of admire like, this. I could never do this. 
That's but remarkable. it's the truth, though. It's like the truth it's is that when you're an adult, you can decide where in your house it's okay to eat ice cream. But when you're a kid, you can't. When I was a kid, I didn't get to decide where it was okay to eat ice cream in my house. My parents decided that for me, and they told me, and those were the rules. And it seems arbitrary, but that's just that's just the way it is. But it's it's delightfully like medieval, or or it's just it's kind of amazing. Like you just you just say like by fiat. This is the way it is. But it's not just fiat. Like it's the, that's that's the roles that we are in. That's, that's not that's, that's not entirely parent, accurate. That's not entirely. Child, it's it's not a universe. It's not a universal yeah, truth. I, I it's mean, a I decision suppose. that you made, yeah, and you yeah, back but, up the decision kind of what, not ontologically. You've got this like is it an ontological argument you're making here that like the rule exists because I made it and I'm the one who makes rules that exist and decide what the rules are. Yeah, I mean, because you could have a parent-child relationship where the rule is in my house, kids can eat, kids can decide where it's okay to eat ice cream, right? And so it doesn't. That, it's not inherent in the relationship between parent and child. You but should dangle that it? over them. You should dangle it. I could make that a rule. I could right. do that. <laughs> I make the but rules. What, <laughs> what is inherent in the parent-child relationship <laughs> is that in general, the parent has the authority to decide what the relationship is going to be like. The, the child doesn't have the authority to say, you know what, I've decided this relationship is going to be parent, you do everything I ask. Like the child's not empowered to do that, right? And so, yes, you can have any set of rules you want and these are the set of rules that I pick and I think my rules are are reasonable and normal uh, even though they might seem unfair, but they're unfair in trivial ways, right? So, you know, same thing with bedtime. You. Why do I get to decide when they go to bed? Right. And what is the bedtime that I'm picking, you know, they, they don't give a fuss about that for the most part, because even though we stay up later than them, like, oh, the, you know, their bedtime at various times has been much earlier than ours. Occasionally, they would question, why do we have to go to bed and you have to wake up? And the answer is because this is in, in this relationship between parent and child. This is a responsibility that we as parents have taken it upon <laughs> ourselves to say the rule is we decide when you go to bed. And this is the time that we've chosen. And they can press on that and say, why have you chosen this? But in the end, it's, you know, it's not like we have like scientific studies to say why when you're at this age 7 30 is the right bedtime you know we just pick what we pick but i just i'm see, i'm seeing you in the in the in the tiger pit with the spinning the revolver around with the headband screaming this is this this is this this is what this is this is this it's not so bad <laughs> it's not no. so bad not to I mean, you i, I feel like you, you get to make the rules. like if they it's ma- I hope it's making them motivated to be independent adults. To or say, to give up. I- or to give up because they know there's no chance because everybody else decides the rules. No, because when they're an adult, I always I always frame it this way. When you're an adult and you have your own house, you can have as many cats as you want, right? You can you can pick the color of sofa that you want to buy, right? You can you decide could let the, when, you can what let time the cats you- eat ice cream on your ugly couch that right. you pick for yourself. You can decide what time you want to go to bed. Like, and I tell them the stories. Like when I was on my own for the first time and I could decide when I wanted to go to bed, I made very bad choices. But you know that you have the freedom to do that eventually, and hopefully you learn from that freedom. This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you by Squarespace. You can learn more about Squarespace right now by visiting the internet website, squarespace.com. And when you get there uh, and you're ready to buy, you enter the offer code DIFFS, D-I-F-F-S, at checkout. That'll get you 10% off your first purchase. You guys know Squarespace. But what I want to tell you today is that you should make your next move with Squarespace. Because Squarespace lets you easily create a website for your next idea with a unique domain, award-winning templates, and so much more. Maybe you want to create an online store or a blog, a portfolio. Squarespace is an all-in-one platform that lets you do just that. There's nothing to install, no patches to worry about, and no upgrades needed. You don't have to worry about any of that stuff because Squarespace has got it covered. They have award-winning 24 by 7 customer support if you ever need any help. They let you quickly and easily grab a unique domain name. 
And all of those award-winning templates are beautifully designed for you to show off your great ideas. I'm a big fan of Squarespace. I go back with them for quite a long time. Uh, For example, my Roderick on the Line podcast is hosted on Squarespace. They even serve the audio for us, and it's a total delight to use. Squarespace plans start at just $12 per month, but you can start a trial with no credit card required by going to squarespace.com. And when you decide to sign up, use the offer code DIFFS, that's D-I-F-F-S, and that will get you 10% off your first purchase and will show your support for Reconcilable Differences. Our thanks to Squarespace for supporting Reconcilable Differences and all of Relay FM. Squarespace, make your next move. Make your next website. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the thing they say, another thing is, again, I keep coming back to the literacy thing, but uh, yeah, again, I don't know how much proof there is, but they say, it is said that kids are more likely to learn how to read, to make that, kind of make that jump from the perfunctory uh, Dick and Jane style reading. Uh, They'll make that leap especially with a special amounts of brio and enthusiasm once they are motivated, whether that's motivated because they want to read Harry Potter or motivated because they want the hottest, you know, Minecraft tips or whatever. And I think that's, I feel like that's probably, I've I've seen nothing to tell me that that is utterly untrue. So I think that might be kind of true. I bet it's going to be the same with the food, but now they know, man, they they know what house they're living in. They know there's rules there and chimney Christmas. See, I feel guilty about that. I couldn't do that. I feel, I feel too bad. But but it, you know you shouldn't feel guilty because I know is, I shouldn't like, but I do it's it, but it's just it's just the truth like there are things that you get to do in the house that your kids know you get to do and if pressed on it to look for what the real answer is it's like well it's because I'm an adult and you're a kid and it's because this is my house and it's not yours that's what it comes down to for so many very minor things like that bowl where you put your keys what yeah. if your kid really wanted to put something of theirs there and didn't want your keys there what if they wanted in to the fill end, with it magic comes down sand to, and just and, and hide the keys somewhere else right right it, <laughs> but in the end what it comes down to is it's arbitrary. But this is indeed my house, and I've chosen that, that bowl to I put just, my keys I've in. I've never gone. I've never gone to that step of the the ownership. The combination of ownership and age is such a hilariously like a dad with horn rims in the mid sixties way to phrase. But, but, that. but it, you know, but it, but it really is the truth. I mean, and it, the ownership part comes in because if you were living with uh, if you were living with other adults and like one person owned the house and paid for it in its entirety, and the other person was just sort of there. Right. There yeah. would be some authority inherent in the fact that, look, this is my house. I pay for it. And you're living here for free. Like you would you would pull that out eventually because justice wise, it seems like the right thing you know, to do. But for a kid, obviously, you know, it's just getting back to the parent child. Kids can't own houses. They don't make any money. Right. They're, so it's just a different way of phrasing the same thing. Like you are not yet a fully legal, fully fledged, fully formed human being. You're a human being in progress. And my job is to make you a fully fledged functioning human being and support you in that process. But in the meantime, I'm the adult and my keys go in this bowl. Ooh, and yeah. you can tell, tell me about the devil dogs. So you want to really get into it. But. Yeah. Me, you don't want what I've got, buddy. You know what I should do? Now, you're really you're really inspiring me here. I feel like what I should do is without talking to my wife and without agreeing whether it's a good idea, I should just start saying stuff like this, maybe starting tonight and see if I can fake it till I make it. If I could be so stern about the adulthood and like I buy everything issue. I wonder if I could do that. I wonder how long it would take her to figure it out. You don't have to be stern about it. It's, it's more of a, like I said, it's, you have to frame it more as a, as a aspirational, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Because is there, is there anything, I mean, think about is uh, food. Is there any place you are allowed to eat food that your daughter is not allowed to eat food? Yes. 
No, no, no. Let's explain. This is this is the problem. I'm worried about being a hypocrite when, in fact, I am really just a hypocrite. I don't even make an explanation of it beyond like, meh. Like that's just the thing I get to do. Well, you could just you could just say I'm the dad, right? Mm, yeah. Like eventually, that's your shorthand for it. I haven't like, thought it through enough to feel good about that from an ethical standpoint. Yeah, I have to really think it through. I mean, I, my, in my experience, the kids are very accepting of this answer because if there's one thing the kids understand is mm-hmm. the parent-child relationship, that you are the parent and they're the child because that's been their experience, you know, if, if this, oh, if this has been their reality. Still, we're really still riding on that. In fact, I, I mean, not to, not to brag, but I said that to my wife today. I said, like, we are so fortunate to, like, have a kid that isn't constantly challenging on those things. Like, sometimes it's hard to get her to, like, get in the shower or whatever, but we don't have too many foundational arguments we don't have too many like philosophical arguments of this nature and uh, yet. So I feel lucky in that sense. And, and the other side of it, speaking of, you know, uh, getting the kids cooking and everything like that is that they recognize the upside of the arrangement, the parent child dynamic where the parent takes care of the child is, is they the, recognize that's, that's parts their, of it. They recognize parts of it, but, but, but that that's the relationship that I'm referencing. It's like the, the fact that I take care of you. I, I provide all these things for you. I make your food and make sure your room is the right temperature. I tuck you in and I do all these things. They see the good side of that. And so the flip side is when I plot that same relationship and say, as part of that relationship, that's why I get to decide where I eat ice cream and I can tell you where you don't. And I think they like they don't they don't give me a hard time about it. Like they may smile and roll their eyes or whatever, but they don't they don't push back on it because what's mm-hmm. to push back on? They know they're the kid. They know I'm the adult and they recognize that, that for the most part, this relationship is good. They like being taken care of and having things done for them and being supported and having a house and things and all the other stuff that comes with parenting. And this is the one kind of silly eye rolly downside as the dad gets to, to pick what part of the mantle his phone goes on and he gets to eat ice cream out of the container. All right, that's it. And so, I, you know, it, it generally take it in a good-natured manner. I don't pull that out when there's an actual conflict, which there rarely is. But if there's an actual conflict, usually the source of the actual conflict is something else. Like my daughter won't take a shower because she's feeling a, a bout of claustrophobia but doesn't want to admit it. You have yeah. to suss that out and figure out why doesn't oh, she want to take a shower a at night because the, because the bathroom is too dark and she feels the curtains are, you know, and that's, <laughs> I, I like would it. never pull out the, <laughs> I like the you bathroom take dark. the shower because I like because the bathroom I dark. The I'm the dad. <laughs> yeah, no, that's not, that's the wrong time to take that out. The right time is, is the, the, you know, sort of amusement over who gets to eat ice cream where. Obviously the wrong time is when the kid can't articulate that she's feeling claustrophobic and the, the right thing to do there is what we normally do is, you got to figure it out first, and then you got to negotiate an arrangement whereby you take the uh, the shower curtain and put it up for her, so only the clear one is there, and turn on all the lights and do all sorts of other things. And you know, we work it out. You know, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, you really are a benevolent dictator. It's really yeah, that's, it's sweet. That's the job, a benevolent dictator for life. Okay, you want to jump to our uh, our topic. Yeah, our our spoiler slotty topic. Yeah, this is going to be spoiler slot. We'll put in a dinger here. Friends, well, uh, we're going to talk about the, the video game The Last of Us, which I am just starting to play. And so, what's your admonition for the audience? Um. Yeah, I was. This is one of those ones like Journey, where you're like, don't you feel like this is one you don't want to spoil yourself on? Save this one. Yeah, it's not. Maybe we'll revisit in the future. But if you don't want to know anything about The Last of Us, which is a video game for the PlayStation, uh, PlayStation Three and Four, there's a remastered version on the PlayStation Four, which I believe is what you're playing, right? That's that's what I'm playing. Yeah, 
And it's not, just to be clear, it's not, and if I may, it's, uh, if I understand this correctly, given our, our text exchanges, which are becoming increasingly inscrutable, this is not going to be about finishing the game journey. It's going to be more about starting the game journey, I'm guessing, from the standpoint of somebody like me who doesn't know his butt from a hole in the ground on a PlayStation. Right, but, but this is a good game, and if you're into games, you should play it, and if you don't want to know anything about it, which I recommend, you should stop listening now for the remainder of this episode. All we were talking about is uh, Marlon's experience with The Last of Us so far. So you've already kind of spoiled things for me because my main question, my you know, I'm I'm excited to talk to you about The Last of Us because it's a game that I like. And I'm I can't. Do, I just to, can't do anything right, can I? And I'm excited. But I don't don't start. Don't start feeling bad about yourself. The Stop the negative self talk. Um, All right. And, and I'm excited about uh, hearing how you're you know enjoying the game or not. Yeah. But. I know how little experience you have with games, and The Last of Us is not a game that is well suited to people with not a lot of experience playing games. And no what I fear, kidding. <laughs> and, what I, and what I fear is, like, I I find it hard to hold in my head. I find it hard to envision any scenario where you play this game and get from it all the things that I would hope that you would get from it. That you play the game successfully, that you complete the game, that you experience all that this game has to offer in some form. And I'm like, there's no way that can ever possibly happen. So when he says he's playing The Last of Us, what does that even mean? Um, So now let's make this the second great game that's a truly great game that I'm not prepared to play yet because I haven't played enough video games. So over here, let's go two to zero. Two games I shouldn't play because I haven't played enough video games versus zero games you suggested that I should be playing to get good at playing video games. Now, Journey, I think, was... Here's the thing about The Last of Us. Journey is my my go-to where it's like, this is this is as low as we can bring the bar in terms of wow. you don't need to have lots the of prior experience. The gaming community is so welcoming. I just want to say it, thanks to everybody for this welcoming It is the most accessible. It's not, it's not to do, you keep no. applying value judgments to this just because you, you do don't that. have experience with You, you apply with judgments. No, no, I'm just trying to play feel... a video game and you tell me I'm playing it wrong. No, 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 no. I'm, See, a, I'm a hardcore gamer. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so Journey is, is a much, is a a much simpler game. Night. But but even when when discussing Germany, Journey, and I've discussed this on many past podcasts, like this, the skill barrier to enjoying video games is concerning to someone who really enjoys video games. That, uh, and I'm always think what I'm always looking for, and I always feel like at a distance, someone someone somewhere far away from me, who I would like to enjoy a game, and like there's a game like Journey, I feel like this is within reach for even a, a totally inexperienced gamer, but. I feel I feel the distance. I feel like if I could just be there with them and help them I wish get warmed up. Ah, there were some times like, last night I really could have used you. Like like, you know, or or come up with some kind of like uh like eighties sports montage training program. Yeah, strapping a knife you, to my leg <laughs> to play before you play the thing where you or have you just wax a bunch of old classic cars or something? <laughs> exactly, right? I but yeah, but if there's no one there to help you, it's just you just on your own. And so that's, you know, and Journey, I feel like, was within reach. But that's a good gauge of, like, if you, you know, maybe, like, it's, and when I say the bar is as low as it can be, it's not, again, it's not it's not a value judgment. It's not meant to be insulting. It's like it, like a 3D third-person console game. Yeah, you just control the ghost. Get, you move the ghost through the desert. It doesn't get much simpler than Journey, where it's basically just directional controls and, like, one or two buttons. Um, the Last of Us, on the other hand, 
It's way more complicated. Way, way more complicated. And, and, and yes, it is a really good game, but if you didn't make it through Journey, and if, if Journey was an insurmountable barrier and I didn't you just bounced say that. off of it, well, you've never finished it, right? Well, no, I don't finish a lot of things. I know, but what I'm saying is, like, if you can't if you can't make it over that hump, there's no way you're going to even get significantly into Last of Us, let alone finish it. And a game like The Last of Us and Journey, like these narrative type games, it actually is like important. Like, if you want to get out of it, what other people get out of the game to to play the game, it's like saying, is it really important that I watch all of The Godfather, or can I watch the first 15 minutes and and basically feel it's like I've not, done? It's, it's like it's not like that at all. I mean. Like, what if I said you shouldn't go to a sports event because you don't know enough about sports? But no, but that's not what it is. Can't you go to a sports event and enjoy things about that event that aren't what everybody else enjoys in the same way? But but, but for for these particular genres of games, narrative type of games, Mm -hmm. specifically because they're narratives. Like, if it was was a sports game, for example, it didn't have a narrative, you could play two seconds of it and get some enjoyment out of it, but like... Like a narrative, that's why I use The Godfather as an example. It, it's a story, right? And yeah. yeah, you can enjoy aspects of the story, and you can enjoy having a little bit of the story, but you'd really feel like it was a shame if someone never actually watched all of The Godfather, because the story in its entirety is much greater than any one great scene in The Godfather, which you can certainly appreciate and enjoy aspects of, and you don't need to have this comprehensive knowledge of the mafia or filmmaking and just get something out of it. But because it's a narrative and if it's something that you love, you want people to experience it and get out of it. Maybe not every single thing that you get out of it, but like, but get the whole story, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's specifically a narrative game. And there are so many games that aren't narrative, like destiny. People could argue that there is some narrative in destiny, but you can also get a lot out of destiny and just pay no attention whatsoever to the narrative. Plenty, plenty of people do. And certainly any kind of sports game, especially if they're in a single-player campaign mode, and you just want to play, like, like you know, soccer or a baseball on a computer yeah. game or whatever. Like, there is no narrative you're missing out on if all you just want to do is play other human beings and this type of thing. Same thing with a lot of card games. Not particularly a narrative. It's just the narrative that you make of it or whatever. But Journey and The Last of Us are narrative games, fairly linear narrative games. And that's what, when you when you say, oh, The Last of Us is a great game, you're hoping that people will experience it and get the whole story. And I said this one, you know, when Jason didn't finish the game, but you watch videos of other people playing it. Unfortunately, I don't feel like that's a good way to get the experience because yeah, you don't games feel a little controller rumble when the truck goes by. Yeah, no, you just you, there's something about doing it yourself. It changes. It changes the story, um, particularly with a game like The Last of Us, which like I said is complicated and difficult right i, I played a lot of the last I, I feel of us bad on, that i've been talking about it with you so much tonight but I've, I've told you so much and i feel like uh, gosh you, you really you, you really nailed the entire thing without me saying a word about it can i i said i know what? it's an opening statement but like no, you do yeah, this yeah, yeah. thing you know i love you but you do this thing when you use like you're not you don't really want to talk about the, me you playing this video yes, game I do. I you want to tell me why i'm yet. wrong it's, for it's, choosing to play no, a goddamn video no. game it's a very long preamble. Uh, oh boy, sure is. Oh, yeah. I'm gonna get another seltzer. You keep going. Yeah. Anyway, so this, the, all this is to say, when you told me you were ready to talk about The Last of Us, I had a brief glimmer of hope. I'm like, you know what? Like, you know, I talked to you about it once, and you're like, oh, I just started getting into the game. Like, or I've just just begun. Right? Okay. Right. And you asked me if you should keep playing. I said, yes, you totally should keep playing. And then you said, no, I'm totally ready to talk about the game now. And for a moment, I allowed myself to believe maybe he's finished the game. Maybe he's played through it, like, you know, stumbled through it, like uh, worked his way through it. Like somehow, somehow he's found a way to to play this game or maybe he's somewhere in the middle of the game or maybe like 
maybe he's made it to the first story beat or whatever. And that's that's really what I want to know. Like, how not how far have you gotten to the game? Like, oh, there's a progress bar and you have to fill it. Like, you have to get X percent or whatever. But like, how far have you gotten into the game? Not distance or time wise, but like conceptually like do you feel like you're playing the game or do you feel like you are mashing buttons on a controller i i will answer that if you answer me this how does mm-hmm. this particular line of questioning make anybody ever want to play a video game oh i'm not making trying to make people want to play a video game i'm just trying to find out all right but you i mean do you, do you understand how this this constant drumbeat of not doing it right is exactly it's, it's, the, not, it's not about not doing it right it's not what okay. it is at all it, like I said, it, you should frame it the other way. It's like it, skill barrier to enjoyment. There's a movie you love, and you want other people to love the movie that you love. And every time they try to watch it, uh, they you they haven't are even not heard a single thing about what I've done in the game. I know we're going to get to that. I, but, I but know, but, but I mean, I I, I want you but to you like keep, you keep framing it as like a shaming I'm thing. Not, it's I, not. No, no, no. I am not doing that. But I, as as the woke young man that you are, I would just like you to be aware that like I know it's part of it's a probably part of it's probably like a bit. But like this this constant like browbeating about how people are doing a thing that you enjoy not in the way that you want i understand you're doing it for the positive the nominally positive idea that you want them to enjoy it as much as you did but it, it, it's kind of your attitude right now that makes me hate video games but that's not, that's just you hitting me not video games don't hate the game no 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 you know i no no i adore you but but like this but like right now it feels like you represent something that, that I personally don't really like on the internet, which is this, this, this constant feeling of welcome to our community, show us your bona fides. So I know if you're enjoying no, this the right not way, not at, not at all. That is exactly the exact opposite of what I'm getting. I don't think at. it's like, the exact opposite, John. I'm and I just understand. I'm not mad about it, but at the same time, I don't think this is a very welcoming way to treat somebody who's trying to get into this thing. And it makes me feel like you guys don't want to welcome new people into this unless they're already like really good at it. It's not about welcoming. It's about uh, trying to figure out how to help someone be successful and being frustrated that there seems to be like like no way to do it without physically being there and even i've thought about this even if i was physically there i wouldn't want to mess with your playing by actually being there when you played that's why i keep that's why i mentioned the 80s training montage like i thought you sound like like a guy who keeps rewinding steely dan for his girlfriend until she understands it like you know there's different ways that everybody can enjoy all of this stuff and i just you know i mean just if you're if you're being honest with yourself realize that i am not being defensive about this i literally don't care i just wanted to play this because it seems like a fun game and i i happen to own it it's just that like i'm happy to follow this line of questioning but i would like you to be aware that you feel like you're trying to be helpful in this case, but like it's very, it's a, it's got a real negative vibe to it about like who has earned the right to appreciate this the right way. It's not, it's not earning at all. It's not earning. It is, it is entirely, it's, it's entirely about being successful. I want you to be successful. I want you to get something out of it, like something, right? I did. I've, I'm enjoying, I'm enjoying playing it. Right, right, but but like, but it's it's like for, because this is a narrative game. The something that I want, I want you to experience the narrative, like okay. ever for something ever, and it's like, it's as if you were trying to get someone into movies and they just never finished watching a movie. Eventually, you're like, how? What can I do? What What is the way in? How do I How do I get this person to complete a movie? And you start trying to think of strategies, and you think like maybe if I'm there with them when the movie's going on. I talk like no, no, I shouldn't do that, right? Like just are you saying what I hope you're not sounding like you're saying? Or do you actually believe I'd never finish a movie? 
No, I realize, no, I realize that's I'm a funny using movies as the analogy. Okay, because I, I realize that's a funny bit that I've almost no, had no, enough no, of. No, 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 like, no. Okay. Set, set that aside. Like, I'm using it because because it seems absurd. Like, of course, like who who has never finished a movie? Like, of course you finish right. movies, right? Right. But to just think of the frustration if you're really into movies and someone says, "I really want to get into movies," but then they just never finish a movie, and 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 through no fault of their own, it's like there's just something about watching movies that is difficult for this person to do, and you're like, "What can I?" What can I do to, and that's why you try to think of like maybe a movie that's shorter, maybe a movie that is, and movies are a bad analogy because there isn't much of a skill barrier to, you just, you just sit there in front of them with your eyes open. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's actually literally the worst analogy you could make. Another one might be models for somebody who wants to make models where you would say like, well, I've got a lot in my life, a lot of fun in my life out of making like ships and planes. And I, as I got better and better at it, I got better at getting the decals perfect and you can't see any glue. And I eventually learned to use an exacto knife to do that. And so if you had a friend who said, Oh, I'm, I'm vaguely uh, casually interested in models. It would be frustrating to you if they kept buying relatively advanced models and hardly starting and, and them never all. finishing them and saying, I don't like model building. It's like, well, but if you completed one, maybe you get that satisfaction. Okay, so, of so the beef one is that I so say forth. I don't like video games. Uh, when I haven't really finished enough no, to say. I mean, you, you obviously like you've said this many times before in the past, like that you see that lots of other people are into video games, right? Yeah. And you think there must be something there. And it's such a big part of culture that you're just not involved in at all and don't care anything about. And a lot of people, you know, do care about these things. You're like, what are they, what are they seeing in this that I don't see in a way that you're less interested in other things that, you know, like sports, like maybe you're interested, what do they see in sports that I don't see, but it's not, not to the point where you're like, I need to figure out how to, to enjoy sports more, but this, you know, this seems like right, it but might I mean, be I have, more I've played alley. and spectated sports for a lifetime. Whereas with video games, you're it's right. a newish thing. Well, yeah. I mean, I used to be incredibly into video games. It's just that I haven't been even slightly into video games in th- over right. 30 and, years. Right, and they've changed in nature much more than yes, sports absolutely. have over, yeah, over the yeah, same yeah. period of time, right? So so I see you out there looking in, but I can't figure out how to how to get you over the hump, right? That's And that's that's the... That's the difficulty, right? And well, it, fr- it frustrates me that you haven't even asked me what I've done in this game. And like, I, I, I dislike the fact that your preamble is predicated on a kind of a cliche about, I mean, because I don't tell you everything that I do on a computer. I don't tell you everything that I do on there. No, I, I'm not a fan of video games or their culture, but like, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's sort of, it's, I don't know. I think it's mean is what I think it is. You, you diverted me off of this by, by uh, telling me that I was being, this very, very long introduction to the video un- game that I've been playing. But no, I want, I want it now. I want to hear what you have done in the game and how, how you've done it. Well, it seems really asinine to even talk about it now. No, it I doesn't mean, at all. It doesn't this is this is the this is the well, meat of it. You kind of set me up for failure, buddy. I, I have mean, not. You've, I have not. You, you've already done what you've done. I just want to hear uh, what you're getting at. And and like I said, as a, this is a difficult game. Like this is not this. Like I played most of this game on easy mode to give you an idea of this is this is a complicated, difficult game. Okay. So what do you want to know? So uh, you know. Did you start the game over from the beginning again? Because I think you had yes. started this game before, right? I did. Did you remember your last playthrough? I didn't go. I didn't. I didn't get very far. I played it for twenty minutes over two evenings, like twenty right. minutes one evening, twenty minutes the other evening. But you had previously played this game, right? Like I mean, I started it, but like I hadn't gotten. I think you know. Uh, this seems ridiculous to even talk about. I just. I don't even want to hear from all of the Syracuse fans. They're going to tell me how stupid I am for even attempting this. It's really dispiriting, John. It really is. It's, it's, who's going to tell you that you're stupid for attempting it? Like it's it, it's difficult to do, but it is also uh, you know a very interesting and uh, it, it, 
complicated game that you might want to experience what that's like. But I'm, you know, I, I do it and I'm enjoying it. But now I just, it's, it just. Is, so, right, so how far did you get? So this is a spoiler slot. So you shouldn't feel, you should feel free to. Not, I'm just being encouraged like, to learn back. how to do a tutorial on using a ladder. I don't remember where that is. You'll have to refresh my memory. So I made it. I made it through the the horrifying beginning. You get up to the credits. Twenty years later, the lady mm-hmm. comes in. We got to go find Robert. Uh, I follow her, and it is really actually wonderfully teaching me stuff that I didn't even know I was learning. I thought it was very good at that. Mm-hmm. Where like in order to get under this area, I have to know how to crouch. I got to hit that button. And so we got to the point where we're going out, and we got to try and we, you know I figured out <laughs> had a very funny thing where she wants a leg up. I have to help her, or like she wants a boost. Mm-hmm. And that was funny. That was very, very funny because it, I, it, I really came out of the scene because she, she, she stood there and she said, okay, give me a boost. And I go, <laughs> and I go, tuck, 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 tuck. And I, I'm walking around her and I'm looking for like a green triangle to hit or something or a beam mm-hmm. of light I'm supposed mm-hmm. to follow. And it's just like, tuck, tuck, tuck. I'm, I'm now I'm, I'm accidentally punching at her and, and then, then I'm crouching, 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 punching, punching. I walk away. I, I got to use the sticks to turn around. I'm learning how to turn around. I turn around and come back to her. And so I thought, you know what? Let's just move around some more. Let's discover what's going on. And then eventually I did get a green triangle. What she really wanted was, I would say a leg up personally, if it would have been a better way for her to put it. But that's the kind of thing where like, and then like once you're up there and you're going to try and find, what is it we're looking for? We're looking for a ladder to be able to get over the wall. And uh, she says, go look over there. And then like, oh, now I have to learn how to crouch like to get under this thing. So I thought that was all really well done that you end up having to pick up those things. And the ladder tutorial is the first one. And I was getting tired. So I wanted to wait and do it when I was awake. But that's the first one that's going to be like a series of things that I need to expressly stop and learn. So rewinding for the beginning part, how did you feel the part before the credits how did you feel about playing through that part like what was your you know i I know you've done it before but you i was utterly uh captivated because you start uh controlling the daughter right like that's your first character that you control in the game first thing that happens is that was she sleeping on the is that when she's sleeping on the couch there's the cutscene with the watch and everything but like you're controlling the daughter uh, oh right, yeah, the watch. Yeah, yeah. She gets out of bed. Um, what did you because... do? What did you do when you were controlling the daughter? Like, so here you are in this game. I'm pretty sure that's the first character you control. It's I like, so. okay, like you, okay, Mister Joystick Guy. Here you go. You are a girl. My first thought was, I wasn't really thinking about the spirit of the game uh, of what I'd heard about it, and knew about it, and my first thought was, oh, there's a puzzle thing. I should find something in my room. Because like back in the old like text adventure games, mm-hmm, there's usually mm-hmm. a note somebody left for you or something. So my first thought was get up and start walking around. But then I, I mean, I, I don't know. I'm not sure this hack will always work. But usually wherever there's bright light, that's where they want you to go, it seems like. So like if that movie theater light is really bright, I have a feeling that's where they want me to go. Or often expressly, obviously, there'll be this little point of light that lights up. And that means this is the place to go to do a thing. I don't know why it does that, but it's very helpful. I think because I'm in easy mode. Uh, yeah, no, the fir- I guess the first thing, once I figured out I didn't need to look around the room, and just for what it's worth, again, I'm new to this, so I'm, a, I'm getting used to that idea that this left hand is like locomotion and this right hand is direction and view. So I'm, I'm very much just still getting that. Yeah, no, I think I went, I went down the hall and went into whatever that room at the end of the hall was. It's interesting, that, you know, so you are a gamer from way back and the, the set of rules that you have about games are founded in the ga- in the genres that you played. So the idea that like, I should look for something important in the room because this is where it's starting me off. 
I feel like even in the nineties, two thousands, like if you, if you, if you start somewhere in a dark room, there's a map there somewhere. Right. And so this is an example of like what every gamer does when they play a game is based on past games that they've played. They apply those rules to the, the game that they're playing. And, but then every game also has something else that it wants to teach you. It's like, well, in this game, this is what you should look for. So the, the bright things that are pointing out where you need to go. And it's not because it's on easy mode. They, they do that. Um, and so this is another aspect of why it's interesting to talk to people who haven't played a lot of modern games because every game like game designers would love to talk to people like this because they're always trying to make a game that satisfies experienced gamers. Mm -hmm. But the worst thing that could possibly happen to a game is like you play test it and you know, you just watch someone doing your little dance that you were doing in front of the person. And if you design this game and you're watching the person do that, like you're in, you're behind the one way mirror biting your fingernails as the person is squatting. <laughs> you're like, go towards the wall. Go to like, I used to run job, into that with user testing where you're like, just click the third exactly, button. Click that's the, the third job button. Of, the job of UI design and the job of game design is to make that not happen. Right. So anytime that happens, the game is failing to do what it's supposed to do. And this gets back to my my trepidation about games is that's the failure mode of the game. And it's not the fault of the person playing it in the same way. It's not the fault of the person who can't find the menu item. And you're like, just it's the button and the left. Look, right. like it's right there. It's just not, read it. It's, it's not their fault. It. That's what that's what UI design is. That's what game design is, right? But I mean, isn't isn't it also really important to provide some kind of clue about what's merely there for mood or set dressing, so you don't? That seems like that would be a huge part of it. That is so difficult to do with modern games. That's why I'm interested in asking. Like, my next question was going to be, like, did you feel like when you started this game, like, I, I don't, I kind of spoiled the answer to this by in the phrase of the question, but like. Did you feel like you could have decided at that point to leave the house, walk down the street and go for a swim in the high school swimming pool? Or did you feel like right, right, right. you weren't actually allowed to leave the house, like based on the idea that, oh, well, in games like I know that in most games, if you start off in a house, it's not as if like I can get out of this house, go to the airport, get in a plane and fly to Paris. Because like you like the game is the house at that point. One, one thing that was weird, not weird, but I, the what the rendering quality has improved so much that I eventually was just realizing, Oh, usually when they're showing in the back of his head for a long time, that means it's time for me to start controlling it again. It's not a, I guess a cut scene. Uh, but those have gotten so much better. Whereas it used to be, you know what I mean? Yeah, like back, back in the day, it, it was in like engine from markedly, is, markedly yeah. different, uh, quality yeah. of the rendering. But you know what it was is initially, um, it's, uh, the first night I played it, I was playing it quietly so I wouldn't bug the family. And I, was, I told you, I, I, my Bluetooth speakers are not, uh, Bluetooth headphones are not compatible. Um, so last night when I played it, I hooked it up through the controller. Boy, it was great. Very, very immersive. I think the first thing I missed early on was it was not occurring to me like how much uh, urgency that there was, that I was supposed to be doing stuff fast and, you know, eventually running down the steps, you know, so that I could be at the point when he can come in. Uh, when my dad can arrive, but, uh, no, I think, and like I say, I mean, like I, 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 I've played a ton of toy box and some Lego worlds and a lot of kids games with my daughter. So I know some of the, the very most basic stuff. She's way better at all of it than I am, but no, I mean, I, I picked it up okay enough to be able to walk down the, the steps, but, but no, uh, to answer your more structural point. Yeah. I mean, this is all very new to me, especially in the sense that I'm not sure what I'm supposed to notice is important and I'm not sure. The, the thing I very much felt with Journey is I'm not sure what I'm supposed to know that I don't know. Like sometimes it'll, a little thing will pop up and say to do this, do that. But like I, there's, all, there's so much stuff where like I would stop for a minute, I'd hit the left and right buttons, I would hit them all just to see what would happen. I'm thinking like, oh, you know, what happens if I push both these up, will I flip or something? I'm just testing all of that stuff out. But no, it's, it's, it's all new, but it was very fun and 
it looked once I got past the initial uncanny valley and stopped noticing the texture of his shirt, which was troubling. Uh, I I got as into it as I could be for how far in I am. Yeah, that's the thing about this game. I it definitely want to. I mean, a... spoiler alert! I definitely want to keep playing it and and give it a give it a throw. But um, but it's uh, and like I mentioned on the Twitter, uh, the real talk was like I the first time I I mean I wasn't overwhelmed by it like Max. And Alex had both kind of warned me about the first part of the game. Mm-hmm. But like, and because I was in easy mode, I got to get killed a number of times. And then you get to the part, you know, when the guy comes up and the thing happens. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, I know it's a video game, but it's kind of rough. So like the first night I was like, okay, I, first of all, I can't spend all this time here and have it be something my kids, my, you know, the family can hear. But I was also like, hmm. This is getting to be just a tiny bit too much, but um, but but it was very uh, cinematic. I know people hate that, but I love the way they did that. I love the way they do the pre-credit sequence into the credits, and then with the voiceovers and obviously these fireflies are going to become important. Um, I really enjoyed all that. It reminded me a lot, you know, like a lot of the apocalyptic apocalyptic stuff. I like. I get. I'm trying to pick up on what are what are clues and what are not clues. Like, what's just set dressing? What should I be paying attention to? What patterns? So something that a lot of people who are new to like a particular genre of video games, specifically narrative games like this, or just new to modern games end up doing uh, is, and you see a lot of this in the form of like, usually some, some person who's into games, like it's like their parent uh, to play it or, you know, some, some older person in their life who they have a close enough relationship to that they live with. They're going to like, I'm going to get my mom to play Final Fantasy or whatever. And they sort of (laughs) record, they record the process, right? Yeah. Uh, as you know, just to see what part of it is the angle of like to see what games are like to people who don't play games to understand exactly how inscrutable they are. If you don't already have this wealth of knowledge to show like how game design could be improved and things you never thought of uh, that, you know, are obvious to you aren't obvious to other people. But the other is just to see the experience of how especially like the ones that really they really hit with most people are the ones where so the mom is going to play Final Fantasy. Right. And like for the first three months of playing Final Fantasy, she plays it like no person you would ever think would play a game so for example one mode would be you know in, in last of us you you start off you're this girl and for the first three days the person uh wanders around the house exploring everything in the house because i, I they could totally see doing that because because they don't know like you don't know what like what's important and what's not important maybe they're just fascinated by wow look what's on this counter and maybe, look you should, what's in this maybe, maybe you're supposed to figure out how to turn the lights back on. right or how do you get out of the house can i get out of the house maybe you have to figure out how to unlock the door and they just like explore i mean the house is a little bit silly because it's small but just like for example exploring the initial area for way too long without triggering the next sequence of events right it's kind of hard to do that in the last of us but that that type of thing no you i i absolutely agree i didn't get it anywhere near somebody in a youtube video i mean i was moving along in five minutes but or less than five minutes but yeah yeah i, I think yeah, well, your so you're coming in with more knowledge about what it is what's expected to uh, to you uh, of you or whatever but but anyway in these type of series that's usually what happens in the beginning but you know you fast forward several more months or half a year later and you see that the parent is no longer doing that, that they have, they have internalized, they understand which objects in the environment are just for show and which ones to interact with. They right, understand right. more or less, am I just one of those games where are going to expected to see things and write them down and gather inventory? Or is this not one of those games? Like, you know, like they start, they start getting the rules of the system, but they very often have their own rules that they're making. Like they, they, they have create, create a new mini game for themselves where they feel like, 
all the doors should be closed in this game. It's untidy when they're open. And so they're playing a mini game where every place they go, they close the doors after them, which some people might not even know was a thing that you can do. And it's not a core mechanic of the game, but the person has taken it upon themselves to do. Again, showing that, like, if you don't come <laughs> in like with the same your, mindset. quitting your iOS apps. Yeah. Just like, like here's just, the thing I do. But the, yeah. And, and it's just a fun thing to do. Or, like, coming up with rules for, like, uh, NPCs or, like, collecting items that are not actually collectible, but it turns out you can get a bunch of them and making your own collections. Like, all sorts of fascinating things like that. But but inevitably, as they progress, especially in these long-running games, they eventually become, like, not that they become, like, into the cookie-cutter shaper, but they, the game molds them. The game herds them towards what the game wants to be. So that by the end of the game, they are playing the game more or less some like somebody who has experience with 20 of these games. And that's a fascinating progression hmm. from, from I'm going to spend an hour just wandering around the house, not triggering the next scene, to I understand the systems in this game. I understand how it works. And unfortunately for... You know, for for sort of the, the enjoyment of this type of game, I think one of the reasons that the initial dramatic scenes and the daughter and everything is more affecting to people who've played 500 games that are like this mm-hmm. is because the only thing that you're thinking about if you're very accustomed to games like this is the things that make this game different, right? And the things that oh, make okay. this game different are what is the story? Who are these characters? What happens? What decisions do I get to make, right? They're not thinking about all the other details, like like that, you get it. You you're playing the game at its at the level that it expects to meet you at. So you're able to experience the same way. Like we're getting in the movie. If you're watching a movie, you're not just like, how are these pictures moving on the screen? Where do they come from? Is it being projected from behind? Like you're not thinking about that because you're like it's just a movie. Like and you're totally wrapped up in the movie and you're not thinking about the movie itself. Well, and it would certainly never occur to you to walk up to the screen and try to step into it. Right, or like, or like, push your finger on it, or like, mm-hmm. does, can it go backwards and forwards, or like, can I put my hand in front? I mean, like, I know you just... it sounds like what I said is very silly, but I mean, it's not really actually that different from knowing what to do in a video game if you're a novelist. Yeah, and, and you're distracted. You're distracted by it, and so you you are not like you're not relating to the game at the level it wants you to relate to yet, right? But if you keep playing the game, eventually, as you become accustomed to the system, the seventeenth time you give someone a boost, you're no longer like. It becomes like a macro. Like you, I, I understand. Even before you get to the thing, you're like, I'm going to have to give someone a boost over that wall, right? And that just becomes a thing that you do, as opposed to a thing that you figure out. And so you're not distracted by the boosting mechanic to like what is actually happening in the story. Now, the you know, another analogy that jumps to mind is driving. Uh, when you're like 15 years old, and in my case, like driving around the neighborhood with my grandma in the in the seat, it's like you're not going to appreciate the scenery if you're thinking about whether you're driving with two feet or one. Yeah. And, and and to some degree, I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's less of a participatory thing. But when you're driving, you have to kind of have your eyes on the road. So the story yeah. that you're getting about what happened on the trip is about like the guy who was in the slow lane and how someone was tailgating you and that near miss with like a, a garbage bag on the road. And that is a very different story from the person who has no participation in, in driving, but is just looking out the window at the, at the scenery going by. But anyway, for The, the Last of Us, I said I play this game in easy because I started I think I started on a normal. And here's the. The, the the next danger is like, okay, so I understand how this game works. I understand the mechanics in it or whatever. Many games in this genre and this, and this game in particular, many of these things, like there's a narrative and you participate in the narrative. The narrative is generally 
linear. It's not as if it's like infinitely branching and you're going to cause something totally different to happen when you play the game. Like more or less the same stuff will happen to you as happens to everyone else. So that's what a linear narrative game is like. And you'll participate in it. I mean, in some ways it's, this is a stretch, but it's closer to Dragon's Lair than D&D. I mean, you're not, there's not, there's not, not that many things I'm guessing you can do that fundamentally change the story. Yeah, except that the difference between this and Dragon's Lair is there is an aspect to this game, and it usually is for most sort of narrative-based games, where there is a section of the story that you get to write, Mm -hmm. which is what you do in what people would say is like the core gameplay mechanic. And fortunately or unfortunately, depending on how you view it, the core gameplay mechanic of The Last of Us, when boiled down and stripped of its narrative artifice, is you uh, fight and kill other humanoid things. Right. They try to kill you. You kill them. You can hit them with things. You can shoot them with things. Oh, that's the other thing. <laughs> that's the other thing. When my poor bewildered lady friend was waiting for a leg up, not only did I keep punching at her, dancing around her, and for some reason ducking, I was occasionally pulling out my gun and cocking it. <laughs> chuck, chuck. Get four shots left. Chuck, chuck. That kind of kills the immersion, does it not? When you when you accidentally fire <laughs> like three the, shots past the head you know of your friend, you know how I knew I was really bad? Flinch. Was like the first time she goes, "Give me a leg up" or whatever. Like, give me a boost. Mm-hmm. And then I go, tuck, 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 tuck. And I walk around a little bit and I come back and she goes, are you going to give me a boost? And she never said anything after that. She just stood there disappointed, just judging me. Yeah. That, 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 Stop that's, showing that's, me your gun. <laughs> that's very narrow. Especially if you had accidentally shot her in the head and she had flinched, but then continued to stand there. That really does break yeah. the illusion and makes you not Real think tr- of. Truman you know, Show kind of moment. Yeah. But anyway, that, that mechanic is a very core mechanic of this game. And they're going to make you do it like make you do a quote unquote a yeah. lot because that's a part of the game that people enjoy. And the part of the story that you get to write is how did this conflict go down? Uh, now, obviously one way you can write that is it went down the way it went down is I died. <laughs> right. And they're going to have you retry because they don't want the game to end. There, right. right. They want you to be successful, but how you are successful and the, the tension of that encounter and how you, how you execute that encounter. There are many, many different ways. That is the part of the story that you really get to write. And there's a lot of it, and it's really complicated and hard. I died a lot in this game. That's why I changed to easy. And you know why mm-hmm. I changed to easy? Because in this type of narrative game, if I die more than two or three times on an encounter, at that point I say, I'm not playing this game, for me, personally, to become uh, really good at the combat system. No, and you're not, you're, not competing. you're not competing for score points. You just want the story to keep moving. Right. And I don't want it to be too easy. But on the other hand, if I die too many times, then I just feel like now now it breaks the immersion for me. Now I'm no mm-hmm. longer a character in a story attempting to do a thing. Now I'm a person I catch playing a video game trying to get past a hard level, which I can do. But that's not what I want out of this game. <laughs> um, and the, the big fear is like, so everyone has different things like, you know, Tiff Armand puts it on a hard mode because she does want to like that's the game for her is to figure out how to uh, defeat it on the hardest possible mode. Uh, that's what she's looking for it from the game. That's why they have difficulty settings, these type of things. But the worst case scenario, and the one I always fear for someone who doesn't have a lot of experience playing these games, is that even on the easiest setting, you will immediately bounce into the zone where I am. Like, that, that A, you will be looking for the same things I am from the game, which is like, I want to feel like I'm in the story or whatever. Um, and that B, even on the easiest mode, it will be incredibly frustrating. Like, that you will just die a lot, a lot. And maybe you just literally will not be able to continue to progress the game because of some stupid thing that you don't even care that much. Like, I don't care about the combat system. I want to just see what happens next. Right. And it's it's like, why don't they just remove the combat entirely? That would be wrong too because they do want you to feel like you were in a dire situation and you feel the tension and you feel the fear and through your own ingenuity and skill 
and perseverance, right. you were able to overcome a challenge. That's what makes a game different than a movie. Well, and the, and the psychology of, it seems like part of the psychology of the game is you should feel um, encouraged to keep playing the game because of the feeling that you can gain the skills that allow you to continue. And if, if just, if it was something that was actually like life and the occasional safe, that would your safe fell on your head, like that would not be a fun game because it would feel too random. But at, 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 the, at the deeper level, what they want is for you to feel like you are the character in the game. Right. Like not that you are a person on a couch playing a game, but feel like that you are in the game in the same way that you're watching a movie. When you get wrapped up in it, you feel like, you know, the movie is real and you're experiencing it or a book that you're reading that you're in an, in mm-hmm. the thing. Right. And there's no way you can get that experience. If you keep getting bounced back to like the, you are dead screen, start over again screen and you start strategizing how to f- pass this level. But they do want you to feel you're in a difficult situation and you're going to be the hero and you have to figure out t- some way to get past this. And you come up with the planning, you execute the plan and it looks like you might almost die, but you don't, and you feel a sense of accomplishment. That's why games aren't movies. Cause you can't feel that in the movie. I mean, you can live vicariously through what they're doing, but in the end you didn't decide that they should go through that window or they should sneak up over here or they should, use a brick or they should use their gun or they should, you should run away or like whatever thing you don't get to pick the movie person just do what does what they do in the game. You get to pick. And that's a really, really important part of the game. So it's very difficult in games like this. They want everyone who plays it of many varying skill and knowledge levels to have it be difficult enough for them that they feel a sense of accomplishment, not just like I'm beating the game, but a sense of accomplishment within the story but not so difficult that they constantly get bounced back out and feel like now they're playing a game. And certainly not so difficult that they literally cannot progress to the next section of the game because it is just too hard. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why games like this are much more difficult than Journey because Journey, I feel like with, maybe you get bounced out of the story a little bit, but you won't actually be stopped. It's actually, I mean, it's very difficult to completely fail to progress Journey. It is very easy to completely fail to progress the last one, right, which good, is- good, good to know. Which is, and you haven't gotten up to that part yet. Like you're still in the, the in the thing they're teaching you things. Like I said, I played on normal mode here. I'm like, oh, this, you know, every game starts like this. Uh, most games like want to lead you into it because even if you're an experienced gamer, you don't know the systems in this specific game. So they, you know, gamers roll their eyes at like, oh, I'm learning how to use a ladder. But really, what you're learning is in this in this uh, game, what are the rules about ladders? Uh, are, can I bring a ladder with me through the whole game and just carry it on my back so every time I see a wall I can get up it or can I only use ladders in a certain area like can I move every ladder or just the ones that it tells you know you, that's what you're learning during these sort of tutorial sections of the game but eventually they're going to put you in some hot water and you're going to get out of it and they're going to put you in hot water and you're going to get out of it and they're going to put you even in hotter water and eventually I got to the point where you know again I die three times on an encounter I don't have time to die three times in the counter easy mode and then easy mode was easy enough that I never had that experience again. I just sailed through the rest of the game. Occasionally put it back to normal. If I felt easy. It was getting a little bit too easy. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, what my main question for you in terms of how I kept saying, how far are you? How far are you? How far are you? Because, because I wanted to know, like, like, I, you know, the fantasy scenario was like that, that it all came together for you. And that actually, once you got all the systems and started getting to the rhythm of the game that you, that, you know, in easy mode or whatever, you just started racing through it. And then it's just like you're reading a book and it's a page turner and you're going scene after scene after scene. Well, no, it's a, it's a, it's a funny balance because I don't really care, but I'm open, which is a great way to go into a thing, which is like, I don't feel any pressure to have this go any certain way. I'm going to enjoy what I enjoy of it for the ride. Uh, but at the same time I did realize, for example, when I, as early as I am in the training part of this, this game, I'm not even in the real game yet, obviously, but like when I get to the point where I see, okay, 
uh, that, okay, now there's this ladder thing. Oh, and by the way, there's going to be these other things. And then I'm that, at that point, I'm like, okay, this is going to be not going to be something that I, that I do, you know, in a couple, three nights. So, you know, I want to keep plotting along a little bit at a time. Uh, I, I mean, but the truth is like, and this, I'm not saying this, uh, this sounds defensive or pre-defensive. It's not, I mean, I hope this goes well, but if it doesn't, it'll be okay. You know, there's other stuff and this is mostly just kind of, like I say, dipping my toes into this because like, you know, for another way, you keep using this movie analogy that I'm not crazy about, but because I mean, everybody's had exposure to movies. Um, but I mean, like almost literally everybody in America has had like a large amount of exposure to televisual media. And apart from the functional ability to turn on the set and make the volume and inputs change, there's not that much to learn to be able to watch TV. Now that, now that on the other hand, is going to sound like I'm trying to slag video games and I'm not. Um, but um, the somebody who wanted to dip a toe into movies – uh, there's all kinds of ways that they could, there's a million ways you could say, like, even think of something like, well, I hear these French new wave movies are really good. I hear lots of good things and people say, oh, Star Wars is partly based on this and, or, you know, Lucas's work. And so I'm very interested in that. And so you could, can dip a toe into those little areas. Um, so in this case, I, I, I like the combination that I have. And that's why I, I want to feel, I want to feel not unwelcome, even if I'm a little bit of a whacker at it, because I don't have a desire to get great at video games and perhaps even more appallingly, I don't actually have that much desire to be credible as somebody who plays video games. It's more that I got a, I got a PlayStation because my kid and I wanted to play some games. This is one. And well, and again, I'm not trying to slag this, the, 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 the goodness of this story and how it's done, but I like where I am right now, which is that like, I'm going to keep playing this. And if it goes, if it's fun and I'm, you know, feeling okay with it, I'll keep going. But I don't, because I have so little attachment to the medium, it's actually helping me enjoy it more. Uh, based on the conversation you and I have been having, if if I cared at all about this, I would just I would throw it into the ocean. Like it would just be so impossible for me to enjoy playing it if I if I cared if I was doing it that right. But I, well, it feels good to not do with doing it right. Like you haven't gotten to what, what I'm getting from it is that you have not gotten to the point where you are frustrated with it and like this isn't you know I'm, I'm not at the very beginning. I'm still at the very beginning. I know, but that's what I'm but. Trust me when I tell you that many people would not have gotten even as far as you. As soon as it stops being fun, you're like, well, why am I even doing this? Like, am I doing right. this? It's not a homework assignment or something. I'm just doing it because uh, I might be interested. But eventually, you know, it's as if I had played like there's a lot of like people who are into really hard puzzle games, like like really, really hard puzzle games, like where, you, you know, you know, people who like the, oh, no, the heart of the bezel, right? I know, um, I know people who can't stop doing those games. Like they, they are obsessed with them. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's a genre of game that I've dabbled in. But I'm not that good at puzzles. Uh, and so everyone you can be raving about a particular game. Oh, you got to try this game. It's the best. All the great puzzle people like or whatever. But I stop playing those games as soon as essentially I get stuck, like insurmountably stuck. I'm like, you know what? Right. I'm not having fun anymore in this game. Or the um, kind of puzzles where like you made the wrong decision and now you have to undo a lot of what you thought was pro- progress to start yeah, over. Although I will actually do that if there are other rewards in the game. But if I literally get stuck and can't do it, uh, I'll, I'll stop. Right. Um, but yeah, so if you, if you're just doing this to get some kind of experience, like I'm encouraged I'm just doing by because it it's a video game and it's kind of fun. Yeah, and I'm encouraged by the fact that you haven't that you haven't hit a wall and haven't said like, "Well, screw this thing." Um, even if that thing may be lurking out there, and there's no there's no reason that you may actually you may not hit the walls again. Getting to the back of the person who spends an hour wandering around the house, 
if you get into a game, like if, if it hooks you if in some way, like whatever, some aspect of the game appeals to you yeah. enough that you now have a carrot to like sort of motivate you to deal with whatever crap the game has to throw at you, like to even if you are dying a whole bunch of times that for whatever reason, whether you want to see what happens next in the story or you're really interested in like the characters or you want to see what the next scene is or you're, you're collecting stamps in the game and you really want to get the next stamp, whatever, whatever the heck it is. If you have that motivation, people will put up with a surprising amount of crap in gameplay yeah. to get, I, well, to, get and, to the next thing. Yeah, I, I did. So you have thrown the shape that you occasionally listen to do by Friday. Did you happen to hear the latest one on Clash Royale? Uh, I think so. It's okay so. if you have it. Yes, I, I did. I feel like you also did not engage with that game and didn't find anything of value in it to make you want to deal with it. It was horrible. It was horrible. I, I'm I'm so glad that my co-host and so many of our listeners enjoyed it. I say that without a shred of, of irony. I, I just want people to be happy. But like it was, uh, I, I mean, it's one of those things where I could look at it and go, oh, I could see why people would like that. But like any kind of fetish, it's like if it's not the thing that you're into, it's just, wow, that would be a lot of effort to get this thing that's not really my thing. So like in that case, just to clarify on my levels of like karma suckiness, no interest in playing a game like that. That That is like the antithesis of what would interest me. It's like, oh, it's a, it's a card strategy game where you have knights and fireballs and you compete. And it's like, oh, wow. Like there's so many things I would, I, I would rather be untangling cables than doing that. Whereas with this, I mean, I, uh, and again, I, like I said, it's very early on, but I'm, one thing I'm very interested by in all of this stuff is, you know how we talk about things like with AI, uh, machine learning, or voice, you in particular have like really talked about this, how like, it's almost appalling how early in the infancy of those things we are. It's going to seem so funny. It's going to be like thinking of a mechanical Turk as a computer in a few years when we look at where this stuff is now. And I guess I feel like if there's any part of me that is just slightly forward looking, there's a part of me that looks at a game like this and goes like, Oh, this is where this might be going. Like a a game like this much more than a game like say clash Royale, which feels like, uh, I mean, it might as well be made by Facebook. It's just obviously a game to get you to buy stuff so you can open a chest faster. If you enjoy it, God bless you. But a game like something, a game like this, an experience like this is very intriguing to me. Because this feels fundamentally different from a movie of 30 years ago, fundamentally different from a video game of 30 years ago. But like you could really like you could really see the promise of something like this. But alongside even stuff like Soderbergh's mosaic, like you see, like, oh my God, this is such early days for what you could do with this. But stuff as dumb as, like I said, when the truck goes by and the controller rumbles. There's something very cool about that. And when you're like involved in that world, I mean, I'm, I'm with that part of you that says, I kind of wish I could just like be in this story with a de minimis amount of like skill-based fighting things. I just want to be in this world. It's why my daughter and I never left the toy box in infinity. We're so dumb. We're so dumb that we never even got into the star Wars stuff. No, we were very happy just walking around changing the walls. Me too. I'm 50. And I really love just walking around, changing the walls, moving things, installing a desk. Like just the joy of putting your hands to a machine and causing something to change over here. Not so different from the first time you realized you could make a folder, you could name the folder, and then you could decide where the folder was on the screen. And that produces a certain joy. So like I'm I'm enjoying that about this. And if, you know, I, I hope it becomes something that I understand right and get to enjoy it but in the meantime 
it really does. It's fun. It's fun to play, but it's also like really thought provoking as an outsider. It's really thought provoking about where this stuff will be in 15 years. So that uh, that toy box thing, that's that would be part of the 80s training montage, because that's exactly how people learn the ins and outs of video games is like, you know, they'll, they'll pick up some game randomly yeah, this is or whatever. How someone and lets you know they want to talk to you. This is how you know that this is something you can interact or, or with. Just getting good, like you're just deciding I'm making my own game out of this game. And my game is stay in this area forever. And, and play like, oh my God, check things. this out. You can put we a can... whole nother floor on your house and give it this kind of corner. Like that's fun. And when you're doing that, you think you're learning how to wax the cars. What you're really learning is like camera control and how to move a character in 3D space. That's and, going you know, to bring you down. Yeah, that, like that's totally. I mean, and that's that's the way. You know, I've I have some experience in bringing people into the world of gaming because I've tried to do it with both of my kids, and obviously, kids come up with no knowledge of any games, and also built in as we as we discussed, a built in resistance to take any instruction from their parents, and also as you've experienced the uh, general pressure, like to feel like the, the they don't want to fail, like they 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 want to please the authority figure and be successful and don't want to feel like they're incompetent. And so you don't want to take a kid and throw them into like, here's this thing that I expect you to be successful at that is ostensibly fun. Now be successful. And then they just run screaming from or whatever. So you actually have to try to find a way to approach it gently. And things like finding a thing that you find fun. Oh, you like changing the, the, the color of walls and putting potted plants in this little tiny aspect of this game, even though this is not what the game is about. By all means, spend the next month of your life just doing that because your building skills that will let you experience the next game that is slightly more sophisticated. And I think the reason I don't even know who recommended the last of us to you. I mean, you've heard me talk about it and say that I like it, but I, I'm pretty sure I never recommended that you play it mostly because like I said, it is a very difficult and complicated game and probably not the first thing you want to tackle. But right. the reason it is more in your wheelhouse than like clash of clans or whatever clash Royale, whatever the hell thing you were playing on the iOS thing um, is because it is, this is the genre of game that shares the most with genres of books and movies that you might be familiar with and enjoy. You you watch The Walking Dead for crying out loud. You 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 I know like, what the deal I, is. With I like I like Cormac McCarthy despite myself. Exactly <laughs> right, and uh, really grim post apocalyptic stories and yeah. things that are cinematic. Like there's a lot. There is reward for you in this game. Things that I know that you already like. I just like watching them sit around. And, I like watching them walk around and talk to each other. Like I I enjoy being there right. for that because I mean it looks like a lot of TV shows that you enjoy. Whether it looks like The Walking Dead or looks like Game of Thrones or looks like any sort of yeah. FX show or whatever like th- that it is oh, it's you know, not purely uh, because of that but it's also a, just a, there's like a certain kind of giddiness to like this is fun like i'm i'm making part of this happen and there's parts where i stop and it's 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 got it's got that feeling of newness to it yeah, and you don't know what the next thing's gonna because you don't have it, maybe you have some uh, predisposed notions of what's gonna happen in a particular like a superhero genre i got a feeling movie. i'll eventually fight some walkers but that's pretty much i got a feeling there's that my my daughter will come up again i su- i suspect and somehow and i suspect that i'm gonna be dealing with walkers and apart from that i'm open yeah and it's a, and you know again you're coming in with like uh zombies and what they are but obviously everything has their own twist and this game has its own twist as well and like what what is the big story about and where is this going to go and how does it resolve itself and all that stuff like so there's stuff in it for you there whereas there's nothing you're not you don't have those questions about or, or those interesting things to say about clash royale um and on the other end of the spectrum i would say something like threes which you played some of right like mm-hmm. you played threes for i never got good at it but i still had fun right um but you're not really interested in what the story uh, the cards is for threes right um but threes is the type of game where how do you mean you mean the different noises they make 
Yeah, like there, I'm saying, like there is no, there is no narrative there. Okay, and it is not, <laughs> it is not being stupid. It, it is not. No, like, to really appreciate Uno, right, you have like, to know what, the like, story you, of a like, boy oh, I really Uno. Want, I really want to see what the next high number card is going to look like. Maybe right. you're mild, but that's not what. That's not why you're doing it. That's the game, and you're just like, yeah. oh, I want to get a high. Why do you want to get a high score? I don't know because I Serenity grew up with did. games. It's like it's like a card game on a computer, and I understand right. the concept of score, and it's a silly little thing that it's I also, do. Also, it's a fun gesture. It's a very fun gesture yeah, to be competitive against myself. But there is a carrot there. There is something the little the little uh, you know little dopamine hit or whatever you get from successfully executing a strategy or cleaning up a mess on a board or getting out of a tight situation. There are there's things in that game that make you come back to it that that you are enjoying. So those things are definitely in The Last of Us, and that's why you know for for people who like these type of games and have spent a really long time playing lots and lots of them, building up the many many stupid skills and uh, you know experience that you need to to play these games in a way where you're not constantly tripping over the damn game and you're actually like experiencing it the way that the designers expect you to experience it. Mm It is, for me, eternally heartbreaking to know how few people can get that experience just because what's required beforehand to, to, to do it. And, you know, and it's not like someone saying, oh, it's heartbreaking for people who can't enjoy Clash Royale or whatever. Like, do you think those people would enjoy Clash Royale? Is there something like if they played 50 games like Clash Royale, suddenly they would appreciate it? Probably not. But for games that are similar to a thing that people do enjoy, like this person watches Game of Thrones and, and Walking Dead and... Uh, you know, Breaking Bad and likes adult entertainment with these themes, like you feel like it's going to be right up their alley, but it's like they're never going to be able to experience that story. Yeah, I mean, I kind of see what you're saying, but I mean, to return to the weird movie analogy, you could also think about the way that people have, I was going to say two, then I was going to say three, but I'm not going to say five. People from five different age groups watch Toy Story 3. It's almost impossible to analyze and articulate how complicated your viewing of that movie is based on a variety of things. Um, so the, the uninteresting one or the obvious one is like what your age and understanding and experience is as you go into that movie. But I think part of what your point might be is, yeah, but like how many times have you seen Toy Story 1 and 2? Because Toy Story 3 is much more poignant. If you've internalized Toy Story 1 at this age, you internalize Toy Story 2 at this age. Get ready for this. You've now rewatched Toy Story 1 and 2. Maybe after you got married, but before you had kids, maybe after you had your first kid. The way that you watch Toy Story 3 as somebody who's got kids is so different than the way you watch it. On the one hand, when you're 14 or 8, and certainly very different from if you were 80, right? It's still, it's the same movie to everybody, but everybody gets something different from it. Now, in that case, no, you don't have to learn how to use a ladder to watch the movie. But like, I, I think that's a super intriguing idea that there can be like a beyond four quadrant movie where like, and, and your own like watching of that movie will evolve over time. You know, you certainly have media like that. There's media where you're like, this is the coolest thing in the world. This is so stupid. Oh, this is actually really cool. You know what? Actually, that's really fake. You know what? I still have nostalgia for that and I really enjoy it. And your whole viewing of that, part of the viewing of that, Part of the experience of that piece of media becomes your previous experience with that piece of media as well as similar pieces of media. And I feel like that's maybe what you're trying to say here is that this is the kind of game that you come at after years of playing games like this that maybe aren't as good or maybe weren't as sophisticated. And it would be hard for me to fully appreciate that if I'm still trying to master the mechanics of being the eight-year-old watching Toy Story. 
Yeah, it's that it's that and more, because, again, it's that that is the you know, people would say that with film like, oh, you may be watching this, but if you haven't seen all this very important movies that came before it and you don't understand like the history of cinema. Yeah. Tarantino, like Tarantino, you can enjoy Kill Bill. I listened to your episode with Mike about that, but like you right. can enjoy Kill Bill. OK, but you're you're going to appreciate Kill Bill on a different level if A, you've seen tons of Tarantino movies and B, at least are familiar with the uh, the genres the, the, the and source material and, and have similar nostalgia for it that he does. And, right. you know, yeah, you get that. So that's, this is why, that's this true. Is why this is why my my poetry teacher had an entire class just about the wasteland. T.S. Eliot's The Wasteland, where, yes, you started by reading The Wasteland, but then you went back and in chronological order read through everything not everything, but all the major works you read about the Grail myth, you read about, you're going to read parts of the Bible, you're going to read all that stuff to be able to then go back and reread The Wasteland again once you've got all the substrata under your belt. And and and, and most forms of art are like that, where, yep, you can appreciate it at the surface level, but there's depths to it, and it really depends on how deep you want yeah, to go. Yeah, like almost no, people, almost no contemporary art makes sense unless you look at the contemporary art that directly preceded it. Or just, you know, being alive at the same culture. You know, you can experience, you, you can appreciate art that is created in your time by people the same age as you. But like, like Picasso makes more sense when you look at Cezanne. Like if you don't look at Cezanne, Picasso doesn't make as much sense. And the difference between Cezanne and Brock is not as clear unless you see that in the context. You know what I mean? And then like when you finally get into stuff like Colorfield and you're like, what are these people even doing just staining a canvas? Like then you, you have to see that in the context of all the other things that were happening and preceded it over the 80 years before that. It's it's hard to it's hard to just look at that and go, oh yeah, that's really red. And you're like, ah yes, but there's actually so much going on in this beyond like the fact that that's big and red. And that starts to sound snooty when you start getting into I like know, the art the art that is like you know that you actually do have difficulty appreciating if you don't have some of the backstory. But as as I tried to argue many years ago on hypercritical, I feel like games are all of that, but also this additional barrier that keeps people out. This additional the, the, the skill barrier to enjoyment because is experience barrier to enjoyment and knowledge barrier. You have to experience other similar art. You have to know about things, right? So there's experience and knowledge. Um, and knowledge, you figure you can attain by learning about it and just, you know, you don't have to do anything. You just have to, like, be told things or read things or whatever. And experience, you just have to see a bunch of movies or read a bunch of other poems or just sort of experience other things. But then the skill barrier is, oh, and on top of all of that stuff, <laughs> there is this thing we're going to ask you to do with your body in mind. And if you don't do it, or if doing it distracts you from like, if it's not, if it's basically, if it's not unconscious, again, get back to driving. If you're not to the point where you can sort of drive unconsciously, like eventually you become a good driver and you can you know, drive yourself to and from work and home. And you're really not day to hitting a lot of your mind to it, which is potentially dangerous if you're going to run people over. But either way, like if you're just, if you're white knuckle, I just got my learner's permit staring at the stripes as they come up onto uh, the car, figuring out what you're supposed to do. Like, that's not the experience most of us have driving. Like, for video games, like, in addition to all that other baggage of other art forms, you also have this skill barrier that you have to get over before you can even experience the game the way the person who designed the game intended people to experience it. Well, yeah, it's, it's, like, it's like combining, like, a Truffaut film with being extremely good at knitting. Like, you can't even watch the movie until you can knit this. Right, exactly. And you have to, like, knit it while you're watching the movie. Uh, and if you're, if you're constantly looking down or trying to learn how to knit, if you're trying to learn how to knit, yeah, you're trying to learn how to knit while you're watching Truffaut, it's not going to go great. Yeah. And in that way, like, games feel like an unfair art form and that they are, they are pushing people away uh, because the experience of trying to take in one of these games that has the high skill barrier to enjoyment, 
that you don't meet the barrier, it makes the thing that's supposed to be fun not fun at all, like the opposite of fun. And especially frustrating if if tantalizingly that you see that, like, I feel like I would enjoy what this right. game has to offer, but it's not giving I'm I'm banging my head against this wall. Like, again, with me turning down the difficulty, like I, I knew what the solution there was to you know turn down the difficulty. I'm lucky that I even knew that. Uh, but I would honestly, if, if the only way you could play The Last of Us was in hard mode, I would never finish that game. Like, right. I probably could have physically done it, but I would never have put myself through that. But I would say this, uh, my skills are not good enough to unconsciously be able to, not, or you know, not unconsciously, but to be to be able to experience it at just the right level. Because you do want it well, to, to be challenging. Stop thinking about you how do, you're doing. Yeah, and you do want it to feel a sense of accomplishment. But again, I want the accomplishment to feel like me inhabiting this character has succeeded in the game world. I never want right. to feel like, for this type of game specifically, that my success is me as a person sitting on the couch has successfully moves my fingers in the right way. There are games that are like that, like Super Monkey Ball is another example. It's a, not a puzzle game, but it's a game where you, you know those games with like a labyrinth games where you uh, tilt the board and the marble rolls yeah, around. Yeah, labyrinth spiel, yeah. Yeah, it's like that, but you're a monkey in a ball, whatever. Uh, the, the, uh, there's, yeah, there's no, the artifice of that game is so ridiculous. So like, that's the game where I really do feel like is I'm playing those, a like, game. Like a split second timing, hit the thing at the right time. Yeah, and there is, there's no narrative and it's not a story. And the enjoyment, like three, is the enjoyment is purely about making a number go up or being successful. That was right in my wheelhouse at a certain time, except it was even more primitive. Like when you got to like a higher level of Tetris, when the spiders start, not a high level, but when the spiders start walking down the tunnel at you and it's like, oh, this is suddenly a different game. And there's some very, Defender, same deal. It was all stuff that required like learning a trick about being extremely specific about this one thing at this one time. That was like the only way to survive. True in Pac-Man, like if you even just trying to memorize the, the right patterns for those things. But in all of those, there was like, like when this seemingly impossible situation comes up, like do this one thing. Yeah, so... Uh, anyway, to, to wrap this all up, the yeah. uh, if I, you know, the one I did, I think I recommend you play Journey. I think I probably mm-hmm. did because no, that's usually did. my go-to. You did. Is and like, you gave me lots of notes on how I should do. Yeah, it. like yeah. It's, it's a short game. Mm-hmm. The skill barrier is low. You, you know, I feel like you, if you over, you have enough time to overcome the hurdles, you can try it. Blah blah blah. Um, and I think the other one I recommended to you recently was What Remains of Edith Finch, which is a similarly a short oh, game. Oh, yeah, with, you with did, a, but I spaced it totally. I'll write that yeah, with, 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 with a very low skill barrier. It's a different kind of game. Um, and now we're starting to get into the games that might not actually appeal to you, regardless of whether, like, even if you were, you know, a, a very experienced gamer, like maybe just this is not your type of game in the same yeah. way that really hard puzzle games are my type of games. But I'm, I'm, what I'm recommending are games where I feel like the skill barrier is pretty low and pretty surmountable, but that the games have interesting things to offer. Okay. I'll um, do it. And, and, and in all these situations, I would say that like the, the example I want you to, or the, the, the story that I want you to keep with you when playing the games is the, is like uh, the, the mom playing final fantasy, because there's nothing wrong with the way the mom decided to play final fantasy. There's nothing wrong with the way you were playing infinity. Like, that's, you know, I think if game designers saw that happening, even though it's not kind of the way they intended people to play the games, they would consider it a success because they would say, I've made a game that's so much fun that <laughs> even just this tiny aspect of this larger game, like this person never left the initial room. But it's room like, it's like MySpace never there. even existed. Like there was an entire service that was about deciding what color to make things and what kind of thing to flash at what part of the page. And then like plus status. 
Like people love stuff like that. Like I said, on 43 folders millions of years ago, like, like we, uh, there are certain times that your, your brain really wants to just move your hands a little bit and make small decisions. And that's not just about video games. That's about all kinds of things. But I feel like there's a certain kind of personality or a certain kind of state of mind that will lead you towards something that lets you move your hands a little bit and make small decisions. Yeah. And then your memory of that experience will be uh, different than other people's. Remember when I stayed in that one room the whole time and changed the color of the walls? Yeah. But if that's your fond memory of that, like that's that's a success as far as like experiencing that game goes, despite the fact that like yeah, you like didn't if, finish if, it. If they didn't let people go to baseball games just because they like the beer and the food, that would be a problem. Yeah. And, and, you know, if that's and if that's the thing you keep going back, like I don't actually like baseball. I just like to go with the beer and the food. Maybe that's out of the ordinary or maybe you just like to go in a place where there's a lot of people and you're still just not into baseball. As long as mm-hmm. you're getting something good and f- specifically with game design, games have small systems within them systems within systems within systems and most game designers would be extremely flattered if they thought this tiny system in my much larger game is so appealing that people come just for that right and maybe they'd feel bad that maybe my other systems weren't good enough to entice them to continue with the game but they would be like look i made my you know the part where you get to uh dress up your teddy bears and collect them so awesome that people are just playing that like that's how good my game is. You, know, that, you, get, a, that, you, you know, get a little companion, you little, little little tiny little guy who follows you around. I mean, how fun is that? Yeah, and so if, if all you get out of The Last of Us is if you eventually come up to the point where even in easy mode it is just frustrating and not fun anymore to progress, and you're like, you know what? I am not this into shooting. Like, because I, I have to I can express to you how many things you will have to shoot and kill in this game. Like, I, it, okay, good, good to know. Because because when I think about it, like for. If you're used to this type of game, it's not that that big of a deal. It's like, oh, this is just this is just the game. But if you watch someone else playing, like time and put a stopwatch on, like how much time is spent plotting to kill things that are trying to kill you? It's a tremendous amount of the game. Like that is essentially the core gameplay. And if you don't oh like God. the core gameplay, you will not like the game. But if but if you if you unconsciously play the core gameplay, all you see, like when I think in my memories, all I think back is like a few dramatic scenes that I played out and. You know, my, my progression of the story, whereas if I watched a recording of myself playing this game, I'd realize that 90 percent of the time I was going through a series of combat encounters and doing a hell of a lot of shooting things. And so, like, when someone else plays it, like they may be shocked to learn. It's like it's like, you know, you're, you're going to be on a baseball team. And what you didn't realize is that most of your time would be spent plowing the fields to grow the trees that make the bats. And you'd be like, mm-hmm. I thought I was going to be playing baseball. And it seems like I'm spending like seven years growing trees and then I'm cutting down the trees and then I'm drying the wood and then I'm making the bat. And I get to <laughs> play baseball for five minutes. And that's not what I expected when <laughs> right. I was going to play baseball. But people were like, what do you mean? This is what baseball is. Like, I feel like a lot of video games, I feel like that's what that is. So uh, but anyway, if you come out of this experience, found finding where that barrier is and seeing like, because this, this game is going to try to teach you like a million different systems. And honestly, there are like, there are too many systems. There's, there, it's a bewildered, it's not as bad as probably Clash Royale because there's no like silly free to play exploitive mechanic in it. But there's a lot of systems. Which and I is say, fine. Which is fine. I'm glad people enjoy it. Yeah. Don't get hung up on the systems. Don't feel like I'm just, not. I'm just, just going to play it and just, see what happens. Yeah. Just go until it's not fun anymore and call it a day and consider it a success. I would still say don't spoil yourself on the game by go watching a YouTube video no, because no, no, it could no. we'll be do it. We'll do it. you could come back to this in your dotage and at that point you're you're an expert in the genre of games and you'd rattle right through and then you'd get to enjoy it. So I would never say spoil yourself on it because even if you're not into Breaking Bad now because it seems like a bummer of a series, you never know when you might come back to it and watch Breaking Bad and you'll be glad you didn't spoil yourself on it. And yeah, the happy ending. <laughs>